the Koi Gig Pod. I wouldn't even look at them. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even prepare to play against them because you do not what you don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> we could beat them six nil, or we could lose six nil. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Past seven, you half past seven. You're welcome along to uh, OTBAM. It's Tuesday, it's not Friday, but it's Adrian here and it's Shane over there. And between both of us, it's Kenny Cunningham. Good morning, Kenny Cunningham. How are you doing? Yeah, all good, lads. <coughs> all good. You've just too literally long. On it. Too this long. very second been given out about the lack of provision of croissants. <laughs> croissants. <laughs> croissants. Yeah. Plenty of Weetabix. Plenty of Weetabix around the place. I, but I feel, uh, I feel no great. Croissants. Kenny was dissing me Weetabix this morning. I have to Wouldn't say, be a go-to for me now either. I must admit, not even a healthy option. Really, it's probably really? the healthiest. Look at the, the, have you looked at the box? Have you looked at the ingredients? No, have you looked at the small print. I'm going by reputation alone. To be honest, it's probably the healthiest of those easy breakfasts. Do you know what I mean? Your That's your low bar, your cocoa pops, low your frosties, your cornflakes. It's a slow energy burn, isn't it? A bit like porridge. Yeah, that, we want a bit of flaxseed or something, a few seeds yeah, on it, Shane. That'd be the thing that bring fruit, it out. You know? But it's hard. You see, it's hard to get porridge going or something that's never been into the porridge. Have you not? Never been into even when you were playing because that would have been a good. Source would have been energy. Yeah, yeah. No, it would have been. No, ne- never in. Re- Remember Ready Breck ground up over here? Okay. Yeah. Powdery stuff. That Powdery. Was, like, powdery ah, stuff. It's a kid's version of porridge, basically, I think. It's I used to eat Ready Breck. Victorian times, isn't it? Yeah. Ready Breck. You know, Ready Breck. You feel sorry for people. You just feel sorry for kids. I had Ready Breck. You say, ah, bless them. What's your problem <laughs> with porridge? Ready Breck for breakfast. <laughs> What's your problem with porridge? Porridge is high end. <laughs> was porridge it? Was high end. I think so. Off. Compared to Ready Breck. You got a few cheap, cheap. Uh, porridge is cheap as chips. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's cheap as chips. aren't cheap. Cheapest, I'll tell you that. Cheapest, How much are chips yeah. in your uh, yeah. uh, takeaway? Well, you would know more about. You would know more about. Like, like, chips. I yeah. said to myself coming in this morning, Kenny's in, and like he's he's always talking about food, and we love chatting about food, but we're not going to do that. This <laughs> I'm led that way. We didn't even I'm plan to talk about. Yeah. We well, you brought the weetabix up, Kenny. I have to say, what would you have up? for for breakfast? Having said that, and here we are. <laughs> what would you have for breakfast? No, I'm not bad actually. A bit of fruit. I wouldn't eat a lot early early on in the day. Maybe a little bit of fruit. Banana. I've been cramping. Don't want to get too like, but <laughs> cramping a lot uh, of late. So somebody said banana. All simple, right, okay. Simple solution. Yeah, banana. Yeah. Again, Coffee, potassium, seemingly. Tea. Potassium. That's a okay. given. That's that's so a well known. Fruit. Did you know that potassium? I did not yeah. know that. It's good for Anti anti cramping. Uh, yeah. Uh, method or there foods. Go. Yeah, there you go. Chemical um, symbol is K for potassium. Just for cup of tea, like cup of coffee. Uh, I will have no, not not early in the morning. No, right. that's during the day. That's a little treat if I've been good. <laughs> now, got to, you know, physically, you've got we're at run and doing a few bits, then that's a little treat early afternoon. For a man Coffee who looks to be as fit as a butcher's dog, anytime I hear you talking about food, it doesn't appear it's all sort of. Sweet from the, ah, he yeah. runs it off. Apologise for that. He run, no, I'm not tooth. asking you to apologise. It's, it's not choice. I was walking down Capel Street the other day and I was thinking of Kenny Cunningham because he recommended. Uh, I'm a big Bunsen burger fan. This isn't sponsored. Uh, but Kenny recommended that. Other burgers. Dash, you go. And I, I, I actually I walked past Dash Here and then I go. thought of Kenny. I walked back in, went in and ordered myself a double burger, double cheeseburger. What's it well, think? Tell you what. It's up Kenny, there, isn't it? Kenny was right. Was he? It's gone above Bunsen for me. Oh, just by a, no, by a, I by a margin. That. I didn't. T- I didn't try the chips, so I can't speak for the for the hand cut fries. But uh, burger wise, good value. 
How much? How yeah, much did you? I can't remember how much I paid, but it, it wasn't 8.95? bad. Eight ninety five, probably something along those lines. See, I That's not I, bad. Anything <laughs> under a tenner, Any, ten, anything under a tenner for a hamburger in Dublin, you've done well. Yeah, a double, double. I don't cheese. get the smash burger concept. concept. I, I'd rather just have a good. I don't know how burger. it's made, but it, it tastes good. You, you get double uh, help me get the double burger in there. The don't wafer, you? wafer thin. Yeah, wafer thin, but they crisp because it's wafer thin. They really kind of crisp it up mm. on the on the grill, and then all the little they scratch all them little bits up, <sighs> bang it all on there. Is it controversial so, to say that I'd be partial to a five, five Guys? Oh, they've lost me there. I don't even know. They're expensive. Very expensive. Nice. That, would, that wouldn't be an issue. They're, for nice, they're nice. That uh, wouldn't be an issue for agent. No one of these people enjoys paying more. It's a bit of a status thing. Yeah. thing. I'd be more of a Wilbur kind of guy. Just like down. As soon as I said eight ninety five, he came back with the five. Five ways. Five guys. Six guys. Five ways. Four ways. Four ways. They're an American franchise, Kenny. They're like. Either local produce, that's what I said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> McDonald's or something, a nice, <laughs> nice <laughs> local produce. Local? I don't know. I, I, don't, don't have a clue. I think they are, actually. How was the uh, Pilates? Yeah, all good. Yeah? Yeah, I was there yesterday. Tickety-boo. You were, you were coming in, you were to be in yesterday, but you decided, you knew I was on this morning, so you Ooh. said, you said, listen, yeah, it's the fire, Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah you got to put your health, you do? Uh, your well-being oh, first. Right. Yeah. Don't begrudge me that, lads, do you? I've never, never... What, sorry, Pilates, I sound like an idiot here. Pilates is basically stretching. I wouldn't be What? It's basically stretching. Difficult stretching. You are, you sound like an idiot. You're right. Next, next question. <laughs> how does Pilates differentiate from yoga? Is my question. You were talking. The lads were talking about this on the on your second yeah, so talking about the other night. Yeah, yeah. So let's not go that clip exists out there somewhere. If people in are, the ether, uh, I can. I can find, I'll go. I'll go and find it after the show. You want to delete it? Yeah. You yeah. were. Um, you were saying just before we come on that you weren't uh, especially pliable as a player. That you had to work on that pretty. Uh, in your playing days, you had to work on that a lot. Oh, I did. Honest to God, it was just, I'm embarrassed now looking back. I'd say the first half of those six, eight years of my career, it's just like embarrassing some of the stuff I was doing. Yeah, very little stretching, no kind of flexibility. Didn't understand it whatsoever. Didn't understand my body. I was just, I'd say for the first six years, what I used to, uh, Millwall, five years, we used to have, our gym was a port cabin on stilts in the car park. Right. It wedged in the corner of the car park. It was, you know, you would have put it up in like, 20 minutes one of these shows now home improvement shows I put it together in 20 minutes so I had a multi-gym walked in the door and had a multi-gym not these multi-gym things in the middle about yeah. four stay. there was the bench press there was the pull down one leg one uh, leg weight uh, option and a few uh, uh, weights kind of scattered and that was basically it so you just went in there and just pushed as heavy as you could as many times as you could Jeez. and funny enough now I just remembered remember in there one afternoon it was late on because I was a bit sad, like, I hadn't much to be doing over there. Most of the people would have been left, so I rambled out there after maybe an afternoon session or whatever. I was the only one in there. Start pulling the, the pull-down bar, mm. thinking, oh, yeah, my heaviest weight I could, here we go. You know, th- this is the type of mentality, this is what I'm talking about. Mm. Got to lift the heaviest weight. And actually, as I pulled it down, the thing snapped. So I pulled it down onto my head, like, crashed Oof. it down onto my head. Ooh. Yeah, split myself open. Oof. So I was like, stum. <laughs> <laughs> stumbled out of the park. <laughs> People are like, Jesus, the car park, really yeah. yeah. Thankfully, there was no CCTV back in the day. Yeah. That would have been very funny. <laughs> I was literally like stumbling across. I didn't really know. Oh. Walked back into the, the physios walking out of the, out of the, uh, the building. It kind of glanced at me. Were you okay? And blood streaming down my face. Don't think so. Jeez. Oh, Took me in, blah, blah. Anyway, I'm obviously making a bit of a joke of it. But the, the point being, that was it. 
that was the kind of mentality. Give me a weight lift, mm. lift the biggest thing. You know what but I mean? even in terms of stretching and that stuff, the, the like squad approach to that pre-match, pre-training, was there anything like was it organised? You know the way that you see now, you see all these mm. really complex routines where people are sort of yeah, like you're nearly you're in a ball of sweat, obviously before the game even begins, but not the yeah. case. Now very little, almost like a little bit of token gesture. So yeah, there was a little bit of stretching there, but pretty much you know almost mm. like a little kind of tick box only when those kind of uh, conditioning coaches and stuff came in and kind of a bit more information coming your way made you think and people got a little players got a little bit more proactive then that, and then obviously the foreign influence mm. I'd say again I want to say France I don't mean Irish uh, con- <laughs> <laughs> continental influence coming over and you see those lads and it's just like well this is interesting what, he's, what are you doing there you're actually having conversations with people and and you're thinking, oh, that's interesting. I might try a bit of that. So, yeah, so that kind of, the whole thing evolved over over a period of time. But, um, yeah, it came to life for me, unfortunately. Mm. You were down at UCD last night. You were more there to see Derry than you were uh, the home team. He's still cold here. And you, you can feel the cold emanating from his body. Yeah, yeah. Moments ago. Yeah, it was cold. Layered up. I was proper layered up. But ha- had the wrong shoes on. Ah, rocky mistake. So I was doubled up on me socks. Tracks your bottoms underneath me jeans. Wasn't too bad. But yeah. the footwear... Warmy, flimsy trainers. Ah, skill boy. What would you have done? The two, pair, two pairs of socks might have been the Two pairs there. of socks, but it just didn't... The, the outside uh, if you, layer if you It's relatively exposed down there as well, isn't it? It's not like a... Yeah, even I mean, they're there for a couple of years. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't get me wrong. I'm looking for the sympathy vote, but... Yeah. Now, the play, I wanted to get eyes on there. They hadn't seen a play live this uh, year, so I was interested. It looks as if they're going to put a... They're gonna, Impressive. There, thereabouts. They were, to be honest with you. Obviously, it was a struggle for UCD. I was reading the manager's notes there, Andy Morley, who's saying he's without a few players. So you have to uh, factor that in. So they found it tough. Like, probably dirty, you know, not being too disrespectful to UCD, but probably didn't get out of second gear, really. Mm. Kind of managed the game well. And not even probably their strongest 11 out. No uh, Duffy, McEl- McElhenium, one or two other players. Adam O'Reilly, who I like a lot, they brought him from Preston or was at Pats last year. Yeah, but even still, Jordan McInef got two great goals. I don't know if you've seen the goals, mm. first two goals, fantastic. Ali O'Neill's in from, from yeah. Fulham as well. Yeah, came off the bench. Like, so that's what I'm saying, this uh, squad uh, depth looks good. They look as if, you know, even last night, you know, a one-off game, but you, you sense they look as if they're ready for a title challenge. I know they were there thereabouts last year, but they look in good shape. But the acquisitions they've made mm. have, have obviously strengthened. So, yeah, they're in a good place. We're going to have a lot of League of Ireland chat across the course of the show because we're going to come back to that. We have Vinnie Perth on a little bit later on. He's going to join us in the studio to uh, chat a little bit more about uh, some of the results last night, some interesting stuff. You're a relatively newcomer to the League of Ireland. Is that fair enough to say? Relatively. No, no, we're, we're talking about this for... Uh, no, I wouldn't say so. Uh, in terms of, like, you know, kind of you know, getting to a huge amount of live fixtures... Yeah, maybe so. I probably watched more leave on the last three or four or five years than, than I've ever done. But yeah, I always kept in uh, contact with it. Even I've finished playing about fifteen years now, so I've kind of been around. Mostly workers over here mm. in Dublin, anyway. So generally speaking, if I'm if I'm over, I looked at the the games. If there's a game in town, Dublin in particular, I kind of uh, pitch up. But yeah, but generally I always kind of kept in contact. I wouldn't wouldn't give it the old banging the drum, massive fan in the League of Ireland is such but always interested in it and certainly in terms of the players and, and young talent in particular which has always been a common theme I think yeah. in the League of Ireland I mean that's always been a constant in terms of where the league is at financial the quality of football that we're seeing our facilities and all of that you know what I mean but in terms of the one constant theme for me has been yeah young talent in the league and that's uh, that's as prominent now as it's ever been yeah. You when you retired, you it was not by choice, really, was it? You were you going to retire anyway? I know you were injured at the end of your days. Oh, at yeah, Adrian. 
I'm, so what what I'm wondering where, where I'm going with this, I'll give you the signpost where I'm going. Ago. Don't take me back I, to that. That's I wondered, a dark place. I wonder, did you have any inkling to uh, come back and play? I didn't have it. No, when I finished, I was kind of, yeah, I was done really. I was, I would say I was done. I probably could have actually played a bit. Like I finished when I was 36 at Sunderland and, and, and I probably could have played for another year, maybe at some level. Mm. Years, but I wasn't mentally. I just I'd, I'd had enough, enough to be on. Yeah, I was because yeah. I was str- not struggling physically for uh, injury was, but um, yeah, I wasn't playing at the level that I wanted. You know, you're struggling thirty six, yeah. your body's struggling, and you know you're, you're kidding yourself on a little bit. You know what I mean? You're, Can I think? You know, I could take whatever at whatever level, like go down to whatever it would have been. No, at the time. I take a step down and yeah, I'd no, be no. Funny enough, I heard that uh, you hear that when you're a younger pro, people say to you play for as long as you can, much as you can for this mm-hmm. kind of as long as you can and I've seen players do that play at a very high level come back to play championship Div 2 and go and play wherever level they can until late 30s 40s and for some people that might be the uh, the right decision but I don't think it's a given not for uh, not for everybody I think for some players and I, I may have been one of them it gets to a point when your performance levels drop off yeah. to a certain degree there it's hard to stomach it mm. to be honest did, with you Did retirement scare you or did you Embrace it when it came around. Uh, probably neither. Uh, to be honest with you, you know what's coming. You know, again, it's very cliche. The lads, oh, you know, before you know, you just don't realise, and mm. you kind of do. Of course, you do. You know what's kind of coming. You can kind of blind yourself to it. I kind of well, I don't want to deal with it. Fair enough, but yeah, it's coming down the the tracks out. You mm. like a train, so yeah. No, it was just yeah, it was just one of those things. You accept it and you move on. Just, People talk about little transitions and all that. I suppose there is to a certain extent, and yeah, I think it is true. A lot of players kind of uh, struggle with it. I think probably mm. the some of the data coming out there probably indicate there's mm. indicators there. A lot, a lot of players do. So I have some, I have a small amount of sympathy, but not a not a huge amount. I've got to be honest, uh, which are like you know what I mean. There's a lot of people struggling out there for a lot of di- different reasons, like you know what I mean. So. Yeah, you just got to get on with it. It's as simple as that. You, you move on. Appreciate for what you had, but that's it. It's done. It's history, and you just next stage of your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just kind of move on, plod on, don't you? You're, you're, you strike me as somebody who's easily able to compartmentalize that sort of stuff. Like that, you're, you know, you can say right you know, in a way that I'm sure a lot of people, like you're hinting at there. A lot of footballers obviously come out of that system and are so institutionalized by everything that's gone on over the last. Um, I heard a comment recently. It'll come to me in a second who said it, but they said there were. John Giles on with Nathan last week talking about you get into football at 15 you leave at 35 and you're still a 15 year old <laughs> yeah in some respects yeah yeah I think that's probably changed a little bit this you know last kind of generation like probably a little bit more rounded in terms of you know into how they're prepared when they come out of the football game you know and putting things in place a lot of good advice out there now maybe even courses education are, are, are different things like I think it was different Kind of twenty years ago, I think John's certainly right, certainly in his uh, in his time. But um, yeah, it's true. Yeah, it is. There's a smart. There's a smart. But again, you can't over. You know, the old violin out and all all that lark. Like you know what I mean. <laughs> just got to yeah. You just got to get on with it. And you're right. Yeah, you do have to. I think you do have to yeah, compartmentalize, like you said. You got to just kind of box it off and that because. Yeah, you kind of all those all that stuff spinning around in your in your head. Yeah. That's it. It's done. Like, and I was lucky. I, I still had a bit of contact with the 
the media stuff it wasn't a decision I made oh, this is me the media like you know what I mean mm. but I just kind of stumbled into it I suppose that kind of helped me a little bit kind of being around and I enjoy the football and the analysis and, and even with people a little bit not kind of like-minded people who like their football and they're kind of into it meet up with the lads occasionally who you played with mm. and that type of thing so yeah it wasn't as if whoosh, there was massive distance between me I was lost in a vortex somewhere like you know what I mean mm. oh you know wow me and all that kind of thing so yeah, so to a small degree, I'm uh, very thankful to you, lads. Yeah, but you have you do you also have uh, to blow more smoke in your direction, like that ability to like we'd be dealing on a fair, reg- fairly regular basis with people who've are involved in sport or have come out of sport. Not everybody has the ability to um, talk to to, to be to be in company and 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 get. That sort of, you know, like it, it's quite clear from a lot of people that you meet that are involved or post-sport, given the selfish, selfish nature of it and the dressing room nature of it, that actually been functioning in normal society doesn't come that easy to them. Mm. Whereas I never really had that vibe with you. I kind of feel that you're... Ah, well, no, I think that's a stretch, Adrian. Like, that's well, Shane will tell you, I'm sure yeah, you're yeah, function in normal society. Yeah. Bloody well, you can't have a conversation with people on the street. Absolutely. Like, ah, no, I don't Plenty agree with that. That's too much. A lot of players don't want to talk about the career in depth. They don't want to think about it. They almost want to move on yeah, fully. Yeah, you're talking to one here. Well, yeah, but the, the people <laughs> love the yeah, nostalgia. Because you got me on the rack. <laughs> you were, you were um, about eight times. Was, was <laughs> it, the last hint. couple of questions. You were, you were Sunderland captain that year when you got injured. Was that, did that oh, I think I might, I, might, I might have had the Harry Maguire role. I might have been club captain <laughs> by the Harry end of the Maguire. year. <laughs> <laughs> Who is the Bruno? <laughs> that token gesture. Was <laughs> <laughs> well, there was no way that man was giving you the captaincy as a token gesture. No chance. Who was that? Roy. Oh, no, Roy, yeah. Oh, but Roy came in a little bit. Did he not make you captain? No, because... No, Roy didn't make me captain. No, it was Niall, because Niall, Niall took on the manager's oh, job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He did Initially. a great job for a short period of time, didn't he? Uh, Am I wrong about that? No, 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 because Roy, Roy wouldn't have made me captain. I, I, fin- I missed that four months of that year through injury when Roy, uh, Roy came in. Okay. So the, cap- the captaincy would have been handed. So it was never been handed on. Yes, yeah, you so never that, had to sit down and talk to him about like. Or was there? Why the hell have I not got that That's armband, right, Roy? Yeah. I'm getting Christ. back next week. <laughs> I demand. No, Roy, keep quiet. Let me talk. <laughs> I believe those no, conversations generally went high in the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you would have had very little dealings with him then, would you? At that time, if you were injured, like you wouldn't have been in there about training grounds or, or would you? No, not in the, for that period, certainly when I was injured, no, because you know what it's like, you're injured, you're kind of ostracised to a point. That's that's the way it is. Like You just, mm. you just get on with it, you know? So, yeah, that was part of the course. But um, no, it was an enjoyable year that, like, like I said, I didn't play towards the end. I got, got myself back fit, but didn't play. The team was flying. But it was nice to be in, nice that environment to be in. Because up until then, I'd never never been involved in it to any kind of success or trophy. I forget about mm. all of that. And funny what people say to me, like, oh, did you ever win? I mean, I, if you asked me did I ever win a trophy, I'd be like, no. No trophy. I, I, I honestly forget. Yeah. I've got a me- I've got a medal for that for that year we won the championship but it doesn't doesn't feel like if right. I'm being, being honest with you. I only played about a dozen games at the start of the season and that was that yeah it's funny yeah but I don't you have to play what eight or ten games is it to get or is that was why that, don't why don't you count that, that to be honest with you. I, I'd be counting that if I was you <laughs> Jesus well, as, as we know yeah. from previous conversation Shane Kenny keeps these things <laughs> tropes from oh. his uh, from his career yeah it's front funny, and it? yeah you yeah, probably yeah. don't even know where the medal is do you. No, I haven't seen it. No, it's in my laundry bag with me, uh, oh, with me jerseys. It's a, Do you have the ball? On. You see the ball behind the World Cup? Or each he of has the all the stuff up in his attic. All the Irish stuff, yeah, yeah. yeah you got to hold on to some bits, you know. Kenny, no, seriously, a, that no, breaks my heart when I hear that stuff. Mm. 
breaks your heart. Yeah. They're amazing things to have. have yeah, I, did, yeah. I didn't, yeah, I didn't, didn't get rid of them, didn't bin them, they're around. Can we start, can we start a campaign to find Kenny Cunningham's championship medal? He knows where it is, he just doesn't want to look at it. Is that, that right? Do you know where it is? I, I presume it's in the laundry bag, this is what I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. Can we, can you commit on air, no, right? No, allowing us no. to come in with cameras and open those laundry bags find and have a look. No. No. I think that would be. What's the show where they come into the house, Peggy, and Irish just clean TV out the show? Yeah. That's ever oh, been made. All the stuff's in bits. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, we'll do, no, we'll no, do that. No, I'm no, sure no, your no, gaff's no, not no, like that, Ken. That would be amazing. Fired off to be fair. <laughs> would you no. go for that? No, not at all. <laughs> I'll take. I'll so, take you're that. Say, so you're saying there's a chance? That's me compartmentalising and just boxing that off. Somebody wondering here what was Keen like as a manager? Was he tactical? I mean, you probably didn't get to see a huge amount of that side of him, did you? If you were not on the pitch. Um, yeah, well, I only, I only spent that one year with Roy, to be honest with you. So obviously, Roy had a you know managed for a long time after that. So I suppose it'd be difficult to kind of pigeonhole him after. But that was his first uh, taste of management. Mm. So I thought he, I thought he done very well that year, to be honest with you. Considering um, it was his first year, he brought a couple of assistants in uh, with him who he'd worked with previously. Didn't involve himself a huge amount on the training pitch. Really? Never thought he, he would. But training was very well organised, uh, very well thought out, very well planned. He left that to his kind of number two and things like that. So I would say that in terms of the day-to-day training was very uh, good. Nothing loose about it uh, whatsoever. But yeah, not a huge amount of tactical uh, side to the setup. A very Not a huge amount of um, shape boys and, and whatever. Not a huge amount of time spent on that. And Roy wouldn't, at, at that point, didn't get hugely involved in it. That might change later when he managed elsewhere and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I think he had a sense of that with Roy, don't you? You hear about when he talks about his career, his playing career, managers who he played with, you get a sense that Roy wasn't yeah. overly, didn't want to be overburdened mm. with too much of that information, which I always thought was interesting because Roy was obviously very smart and his game intelligence was off the scale in terms of how he saw the game and his basic reading in the game. Roy didn't need too much information. Elite players generally don't, but that's not always the case, obviously, as you go down the, mm. you know, as you go down the pyramid and stuff like that. Yeah. You, know, you feel as if players need a little bit more information, a little bit more guidance so that's something which obviously which is interesting in the game you learn you're coaching and whatever else like yeah but no right or wrong really I don't think he missed out on the pundit of the year last night at the there was the mm. sports journalist of the year awards up. I don't know actually <laughs> Ali McCoy's Ali McCoy's won pundit of the year right which not many people, yeah when you what is a point what uh, technically is it is uh, studio analysis com- in-game commentary any of that sort of anything yeah, I'd be calling him co-commentator of the year I know, but he does a lot of punditry on TalkSport. Yeah, and he's a very good talker, I will say that. He's brilliant. Like. Yeah, he does a breakfast, a couple of times I've had him on the breakfast thing over in the UK, very good. You're talking about yeah. communication, interaction yeah. with people, t- tone, the whole shebang, very smart, good sense of humour. So from that point of view, and I've heard a couple of his co-coms decent as well. Yeah. Wouldn't necessarily say co-com is oh, stand yeah. out, mm. but still you get a flavour of that, what I'm talking about, even on the co-coms mm. when he does it. What was Roy like post-match? I didn't say the United... Uh, you know, he'd never, ah, never well, you he was pretty quiet, <clears throat> reasonably quiet. Like he, he still went to town on them a little bit, but uh, he was kind of letting Gary Neville do the do the chatting. And him and Su- I mean Neville and Zunes were doing a lot of the back and forth. And Keane was, was, was very critical of Bruno Fernandes, have to say, unsurprisingly, um, and his attitude in the second half particularly. But uh, yeah, he was kind of he was muted enough compared to yeah, what but he, would he must be. have been up there. He must have been in the mix. He was right. nominated. Yeah, he was nominated, and there was a couple of cricketing pundits in there and bits and pieces like that yeah. uh, Ali McCoy's made a gag that it's been a bad 48 hours for Roy I thought it was good <laughs> I'd, be a, I'd be a big Ali McCoy's fan after. He, I, I take your point about the in-game stuff 
I think as much of the attraction to him was about the personality bit and the charisma bit and everybody yeah. sort of feels like his pal yeah, yeah yeah yeah, and I think with him you don't feel as if it's too forced some people you kind of try and give up that kind of vibe but you're not quite buying it hey, yeah. you probably know uh, better than me a bit like myself putting on this forest mall this morning like, but ah, you sense with him with McCoist it's it's kind of natural what you see is what you get I think people kind of yeah consent, get a sense of that I was saying it with, with the commentary even at the weekend like uh, people have certain uh, commentators that they like and don't like like I want a commentator where you go out to the kitchen for a cup of tea and you can hear there's been a chance or a goal because the the tone has been raised the voice has been raised ah, yeah. with some commentators at the moment it's just it's it's for me like yeah that's interesting you wouldn't yeah, know there's yeah. been a goal you're talking about me directly here like I can, I can get <laughs> no, a sense of that that was actually Kenny. it is interesting you're right though people think I don't really give it too much thought in terms of like the do a bit of co-com stuff which I actually enjoy but yeah yeah, I don't overthink it. I don't think it at all, to yeah, be honest. Yeah. Which, but, you know, you're better off. That's ah, no, I don't think so, actually. No, I think you're wrong there. I think you're, what you should really be doing is actually listening back to your commentary and actually, to, you know, listening to people. That works for some within. people. That works for yeah, some people. Yeah, but, but it, 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 do, it does matter. You're right. And tone, exactly, and pitch, I think, really does matter. It gets people att- mm. people's attention, doesn't it, at various moments, over-talking it, over-talking, which I've been very guilty of for a long period of time and still am. Tell you about, I got <laughs> I got a letter posted to me at RT some time ago. It was very good. Obviously, wouldn't get a lot of, of any fan mail, but this has been there for about six months. I, I came into RT, lad threw it at me. Look, I found this. Oh, yeah, well, I opened it up. Usually, it's someone from, you know, Kazakhstan looking for two photos signed or whatever, and no postage. They're looking whatever. for the other kind of cost you about 18 quid to get the postage <laughs> or whatever. Anyway, but I opened up, it was a letter, and it was actually from a gentleman in South Dublin. Very well written, uh, well written. Whole page. Oh, this is interesting. Started off Ken, very nice Ken, a big fan. Blah, your, your career, and you know, oh, oh, hold on, where, where, where's this leading? <laughs> however, <laughs> <laughs> however, and he went on to explain. Look, I, I think I need to point out a few things in terms of your co-commentary style. I made that point that you've made there. I think you've got to be very careful. That you don't over-talk or too much information. Really feel as if you need to hold back. And he was absolutely right in terms of what he said because you kind of li- I listened to it and I thought you know you're absolutely right. So a little bit like you're you're saying there, I, t- I think it is a skill and it's a skill which you can. No, I wasn't up. pointing at you whatsoever. I think no, you're, but you're right. I'm saying it's just how coincidentally I'm in the yoke, but you're absolutely absolutely. I think it is something which you've already got it. You haven't. I think there's a certain amount of that, mm. but I think you can sharpen it up if you're really kind of you know you got your blinkers on. You can, you can really get good at it. You can improve and. And get better. So I think, yeah, I think, um, yeah. I, th- I think once I, you once you wrap up and you have your Weetabix or banana before you start, then you're you're onto a winner <laughs> on the commentary. The, the letter the letter was signed yeah. R Nugent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I tell you what, he signed it, but he didn't uh, put his address on it because I would have actually penned him. I did. Oh, that's uh, a shame. Yeah, yeah, it was a little bit. But you took he, it in the spirit that he. Oh he yeah, no, it. no, it wasn't a fair. And he was an old boy, to be honest with you. You know yeah. what I mean? And you have to you have to show a bit of respect. And you know what? He actually made it. It wasn't a case of. Oh, sort yourself out, you're a disgrace, you're embarrassing yourself and all of that, like. Yeah. It was kind of quite constructive, but, I, he, but he was right. He was I, absolutely right. I used to be like that when I was younger, 15, 15, 16, I used to write letters to celebrities looking for autographs in the post. Would you have got that? You say you're getting letters from Kazakhstan and all sorts of places. You might have got a letter from me. I have autographs from you back uh, back in the day. Yeah, Kenny used to be one of the great players to stop outside the old Lansdowne Road. Right, and it would always stop. Like I have a number of autographs of Kenny Cunningham. So what was there? There would have been players that didn't, obviously. Hundred percent. No, Kevin Caban was always very good. Shame. Kenny, Kev, uh, David Connolly was very good. Uh, Richard Dunn was very good. There's a few players who I was like, they're always stopping all regulars in the show as well. Anchors, chance. 
bankers. No, they were brilliant. Always stopped for the young kids, and I was one of them. Uh, yeah, I always thought the lads were very. Uh, this is postmatch, is it? Where Lansdowne? Yeah, Lansdowne. Andorra. Andorra would have been my there. first game. Oh, is that right, Jeff? You no, know, you came out. There was a little. That's totally different to what it is nowadays. Yeah, but I'm trying to take even the exit lands down. That man, I'm struggling. Did it come out between it. the the house and the stand? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And and, and, and oh, there came a, and there was well, kind of the defence set up. Cottage, what was it? Uh, that, that little cottage thing, yeah. yeah, yeah. Did someone actually live in that? Did we have? No, it was like a little. It was a, it was a club house, clubhouse. I thought it was one of those things they wouldn't sell. <laughs> they love the front door. Oh, sell. this is a game on TV. Build it around, them. around them. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder what's happening. I was like, did, uh, did you hear that outside? Turn on that TV a second. <laughs> well, I tell you what summed up the old lands down for me. Talk about chalk and cheese, because obviously Davies like would still be lands down to to me, but obviously it's not in a lot of other respects. But I always remember like after the game. Uh, Carsey <laughs> Stephen Carr because Carsey would have been Norris he wouldn't have been far uh, down for me his uh, family from Donamade would have been up in Kulak but I remember him running running out maybe at times after the game I remember actually seeing him once running out to the, the train station uh, outside at Lansdowne because you know the station is literally right, yeah, right yeah, outside yeah. there so he'd grab his bag and leg out and jump on the, on the dart <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember, See, I remember once watching I remember once yeah, with his bag over his uh, head into the dart to go back to his uh, it's man, dad, like, so something small like that, you yeah. know what I mean? You think, oh, that's Very Irish. of the times, isn't it? Isn't it? You wouldn't get very that now. Very nostalgic, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you get mobbed, it'd be a, it'd be a <laughs> social media moment. Yeah, TikTok all over it. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, it's all forced and all that type of thing, but yeah, just a, just a small little thing. Yes, they I suppose. Mm. Here's what's coming up between now and 10 for you this morning, uh, almost 8 o'clock. You're very welcome along to OTBM, wherever it is you are at. Adrian, Shane and Kenny with you over the course of the morning. OTBM uh, with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. We have Andy Mitten on in about 10 minutes' time. We'll have more uh, reaction, more fallout from United Liverpool. Plenty more little tidbits of stories emerging from the papers this morning. So that's coming your way in the next 10 minutes. We're going to talk to Chris Medland. We were chatting to him last Friday in advance of the Bahrain Grand Prix. And um, we will get into more details with him um, about uh, the Verstappen's victory. And, uh, I mean, one race in his uh, inevitable march to the championship, as Shane will tell you in just a little bit. John Duggan will be with us at 20 to 9 to let us know what's happening in the world of live sport. We'll talk to Vinnie Perth, who'll be in studio he was at the uh, Rovers game last night, and uh, Kenny obviously has been saying has been in, uh, was in the Belfield Bowl. So we'll get uh, their combined thoughts on last night's round of games in the League of Ireland. Plenty of talking points from that. The power rankings will be updated in the company of Tommy Rooney at ten past nine this morning. Who will be the movers and shakers, or will there be any movers and shakers at all after the last weekend, the last round of games in the Allianz Football League? That's coming away at ten past nine, and then Tom English from the show last night at half past nine. So as you can tell, it's a nice stack show for you this morning. To now and ten o'clock. I mentioned a couple of the tip pits emerging from the fallout from the um, drubbing Kenny um, at uh, Anfield on Sunday, and uh, there's plenty more. Uh, he made the players sit in silence. Apparently, the United players sit in silence in the dressing room. This is what's been reported. I mean, he always gets these little bits and pieces that come mm-hmm. out in the days after a game that he made them sit in silence and uh, listen, be be in tune with the Liverpool celebrations. Yeah. Sounds like a bit of Mikel Arteta moment. Uh, uh, this, yeah, uh, is that, is I that don't. Meant to uh, be yeah, I've oh, got to be honest with you. I, I roll my eyes a little bit. Like I think we're all impressed with the job uh, Ten Hag's done in terms of the turnaround off the back of the start of the season, uh, which they had. So I think he's had a huge amount of plaudits of late, and and rightly so. I don't read too much into these things. It was a little bit like that performance or that result some time ago. Do you remember he got them in on the. 
Monday the and Brentford. he had him running. Yeah, it was 4-0. They, they, the Brentford, they, they, they ran in the scene. 12 kilometres less than Brentford in the game and he made them, and he himself, the thing that made me laugh from that one was, and they're still writing about it again this morning, that, you know, it was such a show of, you know... The cult yeah, of personality. And he ran it himself. Yeah, and that was yeah. This was why it was a show of unity. Ah. I mean... Yeah, so I, I wasn't buying into that at the time. I've got to be honest with you. That, that didn't, uh, didn't make it... No, for me, that was like a little bit show. You could argue, oh, they, they ran... 12 kilometers less so they should you know they, but that was like that was collectively that was collectively the whole yeah. the whole team wasn't it, it so was. you're making every individual work uh, run for uh, so yeah that didn't quite stand that took me back to the day where uh, talking about nostalgia when you would get a bit of a beat or you get a drub and the performance levels wouldn't have been up and you'd be in the following morning Sunday morning like I remember coming in and just running just literally run yeah, yeah. slogging it mm. and that was like you know, you, you did it, you accepted that was par for the course, but it was like nonsensical stuff. You were coming in, you were stiff, mm-hmm. you know, you might have been dehydrated, players carrying knocks, mm-hmm. and you were being asked to go and sprint around the pitch or go on a massive hike. Mad stuff. And there were loaded sprints, like punishment. Mm-hmm. It was like punishment stuff, mad stuff, really, like, you know what I mean? So actually, that Ten Hag thing early in the season had a bit of a flavour of that. I know it would have been a little bit more in terms of yeah. thought out in terms of exactly what kind of running they're doing, but the principle of it kind of, that wasn't good enough, you're going to get punished. I, I don't think it's a bit too schoolmastery that for me so this is a little bit different I take your point this is a bit a little bit more subtle isn't it mm-hmm. but I don't know I, I'm trying to picture myself in that des- dressing room and the manager saying look everybody quiet now I want you to listen to that I'm, it's, I'd, I'd be like after what, I'd, rather you, I'd rather you start shouting and screaming to be honest with you but also you know even, I mean? even outside of him shouting and screaming like it wouldn't have been particularly noisy dressing room I would have thought anyway like who's who's in Ranton and Raven I, think, I don't know I, I think after 7 nil, Liverpool players would be giving it loads because well, Liverpool but, players would but in the United dressing room <clears> oh sorry yeah they'd be quiet anyway I couldn't imagine they would well yeah you'd imagine so like, yeah, and, I, and I like, think that's the time for me though I've got to be honest with you this is interesting again there's no right or wrong I suppose this is management spiel and man management etc you know after a result they probably talk about about this in coaching seminars mm. how do you deal with that absolute drubbing you know what I mean mm. uh, showed players um, coming into the dressing room after how do you immediately approach that as a manager what do you do some managers right lads have a shower you know pack your bags see you in the morning others right let's have a you know listen to whatever other managers go in there bang let them have it I think it's a good I remember Ferguson vaguely uh, some years ago reading a little bit Ferguson, uh, Ferguson was talking and I think his attitude was Get it out at the okay. time. Yeah, get it out. And deal with it. Yeah, deal with it then. Put yeah. it out there. Have your toe to toe, and then wash. You come in on the on the Monday, and that's it. Rather than maybe let it linger mm. for a period of time, which I'm sure other managers would, and then try and confront it on the Monday and go and you know get stuck into it. Then you know, and that that made a little bit of. Sense to me, you know, just get it out. Even as a player, you might be looking over at somebody and addressing him. He's let us down today. Yeah, but you know, at least say it to his face. Well, bang! This is this is how I feel. On honestly, but is that not dangerous? Like to play devil's advocate, is it not better to sleep on it? Everyone re- reacts calmly the next day. They've had a bit of time to think about it and. and in a relaxed manner than the next day have a proper discussion about it yeah, without, without so. finger pointing yeah. but I think every dressing room is different and every situation is different I suppose these are the, the very good managers have a good feel for that when they're coming almost when they walk into the, they might have a, like a picture in their head this is how I'm going to handle this they walk into the dressing room and within 10 seconds no it's changed they get a sense of no I've got to deal with this now or well, I'm going to hammer a few mm-hmm. people they think actually no this doesn't feel right I'm going to step back you know what I mean so that's like the very good managers get a bit of a sense for that 
you know, so that 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 separates mm. the the very best from the also rounds, I suppose. But yeah, again, no right or wrong. So yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, but I, I, not for me to be honest with you. When, when I when I read that about the silence, for me that felt like awkward. In oh, as an athlete, professional, that's not what, for me. That's not what you you're he, aware of that. You he, know that he's obviously hoping that th- this is the thing. Let's bottle this, mm. and the next time the difficulty. But it's one there, of the you have to inside you anyway. You don't have to breathe that in. Listening, you've you've had that for the whole of the second half. You've had it walking off the pitch down the tunnel. The that's why your head spinning. It's plenty full already. Is that the <laughs> yeah, I think your head spinning. All of that's in there anyway. By the time you get into the dressing, I don't I don't think the imagination. Well, hold on have a listen to the Liverpool support and say oh is that right oh yeah of course yeah no that's in there already you're absolutely ready to pop I almost think you need a little bit of a release can't, can't let it get too much out of hand don't get me wrong but you're talking about professional dressing room here experienced players you know people start having a pop and that's that's par, mm. par of the course yeah. and you can't be taking that person like carrying a grudge into the week off the back of that you got to let that bounce off and give it a bit back but for me get it out there that you know, more it's a knockout like that type of thing in the in the dressing room. Maybe for me, that makes more sense than maybe the opposite approach. Yeah. But like I said, no, no right or wrong. Yeah, I think one of the difficulties for United is that they're like looking at the fixture list. They've Tottenham and Chelsea to come before the end of the season. Both of them in April. Ah, Tottenham. They obviously have whatever. Well, exa- <laughs> well, exa- I, I'm I'm sort of clutching at straws a little John bit. Duggan's there, you know, John. I know. He'll be in later. <laughs> I'm clutching at straws even a little bit. Like in the bed of in the Europa League, maybe they progress. Maybe they get like an Arsenal later. But I'm talking about like the opportunity to get back in the pitch against a quality team and get that out of the system at some point. Like, it's it's almost not there. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. season, unless they get to a Europa League final. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you need that. I don't think necessarily in the after performance, I don't think you need that. We want that next big one, uh, big one coming down the road. I think Betis maybe falls into that category. Like, you know, not Fulham in the FA it. Cup as well. Euro- yeah, Europa League. I think that European night, albeit the Europa, you know, I still think that's a big game midweek and that's a competition they can win. So I, I, I'd actually say the Betis game for me is probably a, a good chance to do that. But I think just any, even it's, it's Southampton, isn't it, on the Saturday? Even Southampton, although I'll be at their bottom of the table. Anything, I think. You just want to get back on the pitch, don't you? You just want to show that, look, our attitude, we're back on it, we're back at the level that we want to be, regardless. Does he make six or seven? Tanag is not a man to to alternate a starting eleven, but to make a point here, does he he change the whole team? Does he make five, six, seven changes? I don't think so. But that would really send a message. Yeah, but but this is off the back of a a 10-12 match, more or less on unbeaten run I think it'd be pretty churlish from his point of view right that's one below, below significantly below par performance don't get me wrong well that's it but it was the attitude it was the attitude of some of the players yeah it was the attitude I don't think necessarily you have to come with the the whip on that one though to, to be honest because those players have served them very well if anything it just for me indicates the kind of weaknesses that are still in that Manchester United squad I know it's a cliche a bit of a reality check but I think it was for anybody getting too carried away Manchester United sports etc etc or, or neutrals looking at United talk of a championship t- uh, charge this season potentially can't rule United out and a perception there that this is well, potentially this is a championship title winning team that we're looking at I think that performance at the weekend kind of blew that out in terms of well this Manchester United team as well as they've been certainly of late are still significantly short yeah. in terms of challenging those teams above them in the league even, I mean even if you do start to make changes where do you stop Yeah, well, and, and the, the t- players you're taking out are the players that before last weekend were your absolute bankers mainstays yeah I wouldn't I would, uh, to be fair they would probably, again, we'll, Andy, Andy's going to come off for me the one thing that surprised me and this is not after the, after the fact but before the game the team sheets uh, came in and I looked at them and I saw the players and I thought you know it's perfective yeah that, that makes sense Rashford off the left uh, Veghorst up top and Bruno Fernandes as a 10 
you know, we know the effect of Rashford is off the left. You know, Bruno's at his best in that central uh, position there. Veghorst does a shift high up the pitch, yeah. So to see that little shift in terms of Rashford, Veghorst is a 10, and Bruno straight away, I was like, oof, straight away that looks unbalanced to me. He, Fernandes gives you nothing down the left hand side 1v1 we know Liverpool's weakness down there in terms mm. of trend, uh, defensively so you let him off the hook by playing Bruno out there I think it un- unbalances the team playing Veghorst spoke about this like as a, a as a number 10 probably the most unorthodox number 10 6 4, four like built like a giraffe playing playing like in the pocket behind a central striker you know what I mean and then you're totally dependent then you're looking at Anthony gives a bit of can he gives a bit of width down that right hand side well you feast or a famine with Anthony at the moment. You don't know where you're going to get. Got absolutely nothing yeah. from him at the weekend. So yeah, difficult to be critical of uh, Ten Hag at the moment. But I must admit that setup in terms of where he positioned players, uh, yeah, didn't bowl me a, over. He's nearly done a pep on it. He's sort of overthought it. Yeah, he's done it before. To be honest with you, I'm not a huge fan of uh, Fernandez. After uh, there's no future for me. Bruno Fernandez playing after flanks. So I, I don't see it at all. I think like for the reasons that I've said, if he has to play in this United team going forward, it's as a 10. I don't think he's even a given to start as a 10. I think going forward, the likes of Eriksson and even a second striker will challenge him for that number 10 position. I haven't, been, I haven't bought into the hype of him this year, Bruno, in terms of his overall performances. with decent enough attitude. He's made contributions, but I don't think his numbers are up there in terms of assisting goals as he has done previously. And certainly when he operates those positions down the flank, for me, like I said... It attracts from Manchester. You know, it at the best at the moment for me. Speed down the flanks, natural kind of wingers. Speed down the flanks, uh, and a little schemer as a number ten. Whether that be Fernandez, uh, Eriksson, or whoever that is, that's the kind of template at the moment which kind of serves them uh, well for me. Once they deviate away from that, and uh, you, you mentioned about Pep overcomplicating them, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, for me, it's not as impressive what I'm seeing from Manchester. You know, we got a flavour of that. Obviously, the weekend against Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Bunch of comments coming into us here. Bobby Dwyer is a Spurs fan, is he? He is a Tottenham fan, yeah. So, uh, Bobby Dwyer says United fans claiming they're back, Spurs fans fuming with their team at the moment, and there's only four points in it. Happy to put a 50 euro charity bet on with Shane that will still finish ahead of them. <laughs> Deal. Oh, Bobby, get in touch. Shake the virtual hand. Uh, look, um, lads, it's Tottenham. <laughs> Oh. Do you know? Um, I'll always let you down, Bobby. COM on uh, YouTube here. Good morning to COM. Uh, sorry to whinge, but this interview is ridiculous. After 30 minutes of Brown Nose and Kenny, only now with eight minutes to go, they begin to discuss current football stories. COM. Fair play. I backed that 100%. I just said he was a, he was a good autograph. He was a good autograph signer. That's all I said. COM. He signed, Relax. Signed, well said. He signed autographs for kids. Well said. There's lots to get to. Well We're easing ourselves into A bit of respect on Kenny's name. COM. Jesus. Get your Weedabix in. Yeah. Perspective. <laughs> Take a breath. A little bit of Pilates this morning to do you absolutely no harm whatsoever. You're ready, Breck. Um, what's this ready, Black, uh, ready Breck slander, says Burbuck? Mm. You're just not a fan. That's, that's it. Ready Breck and Bruno Fernandez just not doing it for you this morning. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Maybe Bruno needs his way to books. Uh, brilliant having Kenny on to chat. Way more enjoyable, says Tony. Um, bump a bump a bump. Kenny, brilliant this morning, says Dahio Shocknessy. Just feels like a chat with friends over pints. Perfect. Um, and we'll go with that for the minute Kenny I think that's fair enough that's that's how I feel about you yeah but you're doubling down on what that lad was talking about that criticism in terms of too chummy and all that by reading now no 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 no. I'd counter that with saying the exact opposite that, that you know you need a bit of yin and yang yeah, and yeah. typically you Kenny to not I thought you, know, you were a little bit disrespectful that, actually, that, 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 I thought you were a little bit disrespectful to that uh, to COM that caller, to be honest, just with tell you. him to. Just, I'm, I'm not been. Just because he didn't like. That's uh, the way we. That's the way we do it in this show. Uh, we have chats. Nice. We just spoke about chats. that con- constructive criticism in the dressing room. Being yeah. prepared to take criticism. We just spoke about the United dressing room after the game. 
But yeah, you're not prepared to take any criticism. I'm saying that. no. I'm saying that oh, TOM no. has probably had a bad start to the morning. He's got a, the, <laughs> he or she has got out the wrong side of bed and just needs a little just to. Br- I'd, I'd counteract breathe, that. Breathe I'd counteract that. <laughs> I take her point. Kenny, I take her point. I take her point. Constructive criticism there. That's uh, always good. Fair enough. Uh, okay, it is 13 minutes past eight. It's OTBM. A reminder that Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. Uh, new Brayburn locations popping up every month. You can visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Brayburn to find your nearest Brayburn coffee experience. After this short, short break, we're back to the football, we're back to United Liverpool, and we're back with Andy Mitten. OTB AM. 8.14. Welcome back to OTBM. Good morning to you, wherever it is you are at. It's Adrian Chain and Kenny Cunningham with you this morning, right through until 10 o'clock. I'm delighted to say that from United We Stand, Andy Mitten is on the line. Morning, Andy. Good morning. Uh, th- I, I say this with the greatest sincerity. Thanks for taking our call this morning. Normally I say that as a, as a sort of a bluff start to an interview, but uh, we appreciate it. A little bit more time to sit in the result and the performance, obviously, from Sunday. And fans, obviously, still trying to figure out, is this a one-off? Is it something deeper? Where do you sit? I hope and think it is a one-off. If you look how Manchester United have responded to setbacks this season, and there's been a few significant ones, then the reaction has been very positive. Having lost to Brentford, United went on an unbeaten run. Same again after the Manchester derby, seven or eight games. Same again after Aston Villa in November, nine or ten games. Same again after Arsenal in January, right up to the defeat at Anfield. So the worry is that this becomes a trend. The reality so far has been that United have responded extremely well and that they've taken something from the defeats, heavy defeats as well, four at Brentford, six at City, seven at Anfield. Sounds like it's going to be an eight coming soon. Mm. Perish the port. But I'm trying to be level-headed about it. This has actually been a good season for Manchester United. A trophy's been won. Third in the league, seven points ahead of Liverpool so far. Sunday was horrific. Of course it was. But if you want a reaction from me screaming away, because that's what social media algorithms demand and saying, look at this guy having a meltdown, I'm not the man for that. Because... I've seen Manchester United lose games in all the time I've supported the club. I've seen them get hammered, even the best sides. I've seen Fergie's title winners lose three games on the bounce, conceding uh, six at Southampton, five at Newcastle and getting beat at home to Chelsea. It it happens. And seven nils at Anfield obviously are not meant to happen, but... you do get freak results and Jurgen Klopp used the word freak and I think it's right Liverpool were brilliant on Sunday everything went right for them they were at home the crowd got up in the second half and everything went wrong for Manchester United but Israel Betis on Thursday I spoke to their central midfielder yesterday Guido Rodriguez World Cup winner with Argentina huge club Betis average crowd of 51,000 I'm really looking forward to it and I actually think that Manchester United will Respond. The worry, which we won't know until Thursday or Southampton at the weekend, is that somehow these players have come too far. They're shattered because of the intensity of all the matches, the World Cup break. Uh, but United, after the World Cup, have been really in form, played really well. I think away form in the league is, is, is a concern. It's not as bad as Liverpool's, but it's nowhere near as good as uh, City's or Arsenal's. But... What we're nine months into a new manager. I'm I'm absolutely fine with how he's done. He's he has transformed Manchester United. Trust me, I speak to people inside that club every single day. And even after 
the really good game in camp now, two or three weeks ago, when Javi Hernandez was saying Manchester United are one of the best teams in Europe. I spoke to people at the club and they're like, no, 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 we've got a long, long way to go in. In some regards, the 7-0 sort of freakish, as you say, sort of nature of the outcome has almost, the bonkers nature of it has almost done away with the critical analysis. If it had been 1-0 or 2-0, I would argue that we'd have been having much more conversations about where are the areas in that United team that, that need addressing almost. Yeah, I think that's a fair comment and it, it's, it gives ammunition. You know, a few United fans told me they got to work yesterday and there was a can of 7-up waiting for him. We had so one in here yesterday as well for us, Andy. So. Yeah, I would be exactly the same if that was Liverpool. And that's part of the rivalry. It's part of the, the tribalism. Beating Liverpool at Old Trafford in August was really significant. That was Eric Ten Hag's first win. Didn't expect that at all. I didn't expect United to finish above Liverpool this season. And it might not do. But at the moment, after 25 games, Manchester United are seven points clear of Liverpool. Doing one one cup. Still in the Europa League. Still in, in the FA Cup. But yeah, it was freakish. You, you can... You can look at individuals but if you're going to do that you're going to have to look at every single one because not one of them played well they, they just lost their heads and Ten Hag used the word unprofessional which I speak to a lot of professional footballers if you're being described as unprofessional that is a major slur on you if your manager's calling you that then he's not happy with you but I think they'll take it because because he's right Andy how's it going Ken Cunningham are you well I can. Good to see you. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I agree a lot. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should take that back, really. Um, yeah, I agree a lot with what you said there, uh, Andy. And you're right in terms of a bit of a once-off in terms of performance levels from a number of the players, the likes of Luke Shaw, Martinez and Casemiro, high-level, high uh, consistent level of performances from them uh, this season. But uh, you wouldn't put kind of Anthony into that category. It wasn't a kind of freakish performance from him uh, yesterday. And... Even Bruno Fernandes, you speak about uh, surprise in terms of some of the performances and there would have been too much criticism of Ten Hag in terms of the kind of tactical setup, etc. But this surprised me a little bit when I saw this uh, starting lineup uh, yesterday and Bruno was slung out on the left wing in Veghorst and that withdrawn number 10 role. So it was probably two questions uh, for you. I mean, personally, I don't think there's too much of a future for Bruno as an out-and-out winger in any team, let alone this Manchester United team and, and Anthony as well was a big wordy yesterday. Don't get me wrong, he hasn't lit it up as he so far in his United career, but his positional sense, even kind of attitude and basic game understanding yesterday against Liverpool was a massive ca- cause for concern, particularly when United supporters are looking up at the performance of Gabico, half the price at the other end of the pitch and the kind of maturity which he's shown in terms of his level of performance. So just those two questions really in terms of Anthony in particular, his uh, his performance levels and the perception amongst Manchester United supporters about him and also Bruno Fernandes in terms of his uh, going forward as a Manchester United player where does he fit into the into the template of uh, uh, Tan Hag in terms of how Manchester United are going to play I think Bruno's best centrally that said he played out wide in the Manchester derby and was man of the match I spoke to someone at a very high level in football on Sunday who just said to me what on earth is Bruno doing in that position echoing what, what you were saying I think he lost his head he it was pretty embarrassing watching him in that second half. Um, Anthony, uh, he's still in his first season. He can frustrate. I think he's still a young lad. His first season in England, he can excite as well. I, I'm happy to cut him a bit of slack. The manager knows exactly what it's like from 
his time at Ajax. If Anthony and the other signings had not been doing well, then I'd be really concerned. But look at the players that Ten Hag's brought in. Casemiro is probably the side's most important player. Lissandro Martinez didn't have a good game on Sunday. None of them did, but he's been really good as well. He's having to patch up his side, Kenny. He's, he's bringing in Sabitzer and Wout Weghorst. Are they Manchester United premium quality players? They're probably not, but he's nowhere near where he wants to be with, with with his squad and Cody Gapco, great game on Sunday, but I was there in Liverpool fans two or three weeks ago doubting him. It's coming together. It's like when you were at Sunderland in 2006 and <laughs> Niall Quinn came in. <laughs> <laughs> you, had, you had a horrific start to the season, didn't you? Certainly did. That's when I was playing. Not the first time. <laughs> yeah, picked up that for the injury. Yeah. No, you're right. I joined your club. Yeah. Uh, a lad called Arnau Riera. He joined from Spain. Wow, in that's August right. 2006, and yeah. he's a very close mate of mine. And he came on at South End in the first game, got man of the match. In his second game, got sent off after three minutes. Wow! And then Roy Keane came in and said, uh, "Not really having you, son." <laughs> so he went, he went to Falkirk. You know, football could change very quickly. But that Sunderland team came up, didn't they? Turned yeah. it around completely. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm interested, Andy, what you said. This is about uh, Ten Hag. He knows it's this isn't the he needs to improve. I might have actually mentioned this before, maybe early in the season. Remember, we had a, a conversation. Obviously, this is a different Manchester United team. The, where, the, the level they're playing at, at the moment. But do you get? He never comes out publicly, which I understand. Ten Hag and says, "Look, this is where we need to improve. These are the areas of the pitch where I need to go and get a player which takes us to the next le- next level." Do you get a bit of an indication off from where, where he still feels as if what areas of the pitch he still feels that need to strengthen here? I know generally the squad has to improve in depth, but I'm talking about a starting 11 areas in particular. I mean, you could, there's an argument there for the spine of the pitch. Even centre midfield, centre forward obviously is a given. Even like centre half, you know, the, the two lads look a great pair than Varane and Martinez, Andy, but you lost one of them for a significant amount of period of time of the season. Have you got a number, th- you know, a backup, a number three? who could come in you could trust over the course of a season. Does McGuard or Lindelof fall into that category at the moment? I'm all right with the centre-half positions. I think you've got four four players there. I asked Ten Hag himself in, in December. I had an hour with him with a couple of other journalists in, in Cadiz on what was supposed to be a warm-weather training camp but turned into a wet-weather training camp. And it was a really impressive character. And he said, Frankie de Jong, of course I'd love Frankie de Jong here. Jude Bellingham, of course I'd love him here. He was pretty honest about it. But the main takeaway was he wanted a, a number nine because Cristiano Ronaldo had moved on. It's pretty clear to see that if Manchester United had a world-class number nine, they would be far better. Anthony Martial is injured far too often. About Vegost for all his attributes and, and all the hard work that he does, he doesn't score enough goals. So that would be the priority for, for this summer, I think you might be looking at a right back as well, another central midfielder. Mm. I think he's been pretty open about this. You can dissect the team and we're, we're doing that now. He's got a good spine there apart from his main centre forward. I think Marcus Rashford is, is more effective coming off on the left. Even I don't think it has worked as well when he's played centrally, uh, whereas Bruno does much better centrally. So he's finding his way and... He's had a couple of other players um, 
Christian Eriksen missing he's, he's important for Manchester United he, he made more assists than anybody Jadon Sancho at some point you would hope that Jadon Sancho really finds form as being a top talent because it, yeah. it hasn't happened so far but I think he's treated him well but they're going to sign players in the summer the ownership situation uh, needs to there needs to be some clarity there he needs to know what he can spend and the only answer there is going to come from when you know who's in charge of the club. You know, if, if there are moneyed new owners, suddenly you can go out and buy, well, hey, we're going for Mbappe here. Or if it's same old with the Glazers, then a lot of money has actually been spent, but yeah. he's got to be more considered. I, I, I'm, I've been really impressed by him. I mean, he knows what he wants. He's dealt with the situations well, and, and he's still in his first season. I'm, I'm really comfortable with him as manager. And the coaches around him as well, he's got a good staff there. A real mixture of experience. Yeah, people like um, Steve McLaren, who you know, he's not a modern coach, but he knows he knows English football. He knows the press. He knows the humour. Mitchell Van der Gaag, a good foil for Eric Ten Hag, someone who's a good manager in his own right. Someone who doesn't kiss his managers, his boss's backside, but actually challenges him. Benny McCarthy, good manager in his own right, did really well as a manager, and. There's a good buzz around Manchester United. I speak to people there every single day. And trust me, if you'd have rang me a year ago when Ralph Rangnick was in charge, and you did regularly do, every indication I was getting was not positive. And that was reflected in the results. Andy, one, you mentioned Roy Keane there. One of his comments after the match that, that struck me was after the game he was given out and talking about the United players coming out for the second half at 1-0 down from the tunnel and kind of laughing and joking with some of the Liverpool players and staff members. Was there something in those comments? Like you, you wanted a bit of vitriol and a bit of hatred between the two clubs w- during the ninety minutes, or were they comments? Do you think from a, from a bygone era, perhaps? I think it's a really good point because I, I'm a Mancunian. I want to see the players go to war at Anfield, and I was brought up on that. Players like Brian Robson and Norman Whiteside going toe to toe with Liverpool when Liverpool were the best team, winning everything, getting a draw and thinking it felt like like a win. I don't think it's a good look if players are pally pally with each other. It it just isn't. Even if behind the scenes, you know, there's several Man United and Man City players who are really good friends because of their nationality. If you dig back a bit deeper, when Fred was really struggling at Manchester United, the biggest form of support came from Fernandinho from Manchester City. But if you see them all matey at Anfield, nah, I'm, I'm not having that. I mean, it's two tribes. They go to war, don't they? And I love the enmity, as you say. I love the rivalry. I'm not into some of the tragedy songs at all. But the two brilliant football clubs. And Liverpool in the last few years, years have been so well run on and off the pitch. They've, they've created a fantastic side. They've won the league. They've got to the European finals. They won the European Cup. I was in Madrid in 19 in that stadium. Absolutely horrendous night. But I went there in the name of work. I did my job professionally. But they've had a bad year this year. They've got a good manager. I'd love one day for Manchester United and Liverpool to go head and head for a title. (laughs) Right away to the end of the season because we've not seen it. And it's all right, you know, City and Chelsea, whatever. Imagine if it, that was Manchester United and Liverpool. I just think we're some way off both uh, being in that position. But as we've seen this season, football changes very, very quickly. Do you st- still think you're some way off there, uh, Andy? Is there, is there not a kind of just slowly, all, almost wh- whispers, Chinese whispers around Old Trafford that next year we need to be 
you know, we need to be challenging. Not an expectation, maybe so much a demand from the supporters, but you know, almost kind of wishful thinking. Yeah, we're not. We're getting close here. Get the get the signings right in the summer. Why not? We could. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I agree because he, he has raised expectations, and whereas people were saying to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, okay, it's your third season now, serious title challenge. I think next season it is realistic, but we don't know who the owners of Manchester United are going to be. That could really unsettle everything. But you would think if he brings in two or three players who are as effective as the three he's brought in so far this season, if in the best case scenario, he has luck with injuries, you know, players like Varane don't get injured, Anthony actually finds consistency, Garnaccio gets more consistency with age, Sancho comes to form, Rashford avoids injury. If all them factors are going well, combined with rivals losing, as has happened this year, Chelsea have been a basket case this year, then that's how league titles are won. But Manchester United are not, yet, are not there yet. They're just not. You can see it. I think that, that term results machine which Klopp used is right. He's done really well to get these results, but... I've been at the matches. Leicester cut Manchester United apart in the first half a few weeks ago. West Ham um, were really effective in that cup game only last week. So Manchester United have been riding the luck a bit. Of late, yeah. Can I um, take the Kenny Cunningham approach here and roll two questions into one for you, Andy, if you don't mind? Um, one of them is in relation to, I saw the BBC reporting last night that Bruno Fernandes had come out to say to insist that he wasn't asking to be subbed off, that he was looking for positional guidance after Lange had come on. But a lot of conversation about the future of Bruno Fernandes, the long-term future of him as captain, number one. And then the second piece, just watching again Monday, uh, Monday Night Football last night and Jamie Carragher did an interesting analysis piece on Casimiro and it wasn't, as you might imagine, especially complimentary about his quality of passing, uh, poor tracking and a generally sloppy display. So it was very much at odds with everything we'd seen almost from Casimiro up, up, to, um, up to this in the United Church. Just both of those, uh, your thoughts? A footballer has a bad game shock. Name me one who, who, who doesn't. Casimiro has been brilliant for Manchester United and I did his first interview when he came to Old Trafford and I saw him a lot in Madrid and what I was most taken with was the reaction of Manchester United fans he'll never come they'll never sell him he's only coming here for the money he's past it absolute nonsense every single one of those comments and I was seeing the same people two or three months later going I've got to hold my hands up. That great fan riposte. I've got to hold my hands up. He's proving me wrong. He's proving him wrong because he's one of the best midfielders in the world. He didn't look at uh, Anfield on Sunday. You could have put one of them statues from Anthony Gormley's um, exhibition on Crosby Beach in the middle and they would have been more effective than Casemiro. But they were all horrendous. Bruno, probably the worst, the, the, the worst of a bad bunch on Sunday. I think he's a top player. Do I get frustrated watching him moan and moan and moan? I do. But that's the part of his game which makes him who he is. We've mentioned Roy Keane a couple of times. I, I did see him have one or two words with referees where, where choice words were used. He's moaned as well. And I think Bruno, he, 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 he takes the risks. He goes for the rewards with them risks. Because he's taking the highest risks with the passes he makes, Invariably, they're not all going to come off. He's not just tippy-tapping it from side to side. I think he's a top player. I'll never forget what he did when he came in in January 2020 when the team were really struggling. He changed the team a lot, like Casemiro has done this season. For that to become a, a title-winning side, he's got to get them all clicking together. It's got to be the collective. 
And one thing that Ten Hag's done, and the people um, at the club who moved players on last season, there are four or five players there who were a negative influence in that dressing room, and they've gone. They went in 2022. And I get loads of people telling me exactly what it's like inside that dressing room. And if I was hearing negatives, I'd be telling you now. My, my loyalty is to, to tell people what is going on there, not to the people telling me information. And trust me, it is in a good place that, uh, but there's still a good, good way to go. As there is with this season, top four and a cup would be a good season for Manchester United. I look behind at Liverpool now and I think, oof, seven points could be could make it up in no time. Yeah. And they're clearly good. All right. But we're, we're speaking 25 games in and Manchester United is seven clear at Liverpool. Yep, seven, 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 seven. Stop <laughs> saying seven. <laughs> a perfect note to uh, to leave this on, to leave uh, United fans at least happy. Andy Bitt, United with Stan. Thanks a million. Cheers, all the best. Cheers, Andy. Yeah, 34am, and uh, we should have uh, turned our attention to the Formula 1, because it was back at the weekend as well, Bahrain Grand Prix, the season opener, and uh, delighted to say the Formula 1 broadcaster and journalist, Chris Medland, who was over in Bahrain, joins us on the line now. Morning, Chris, how are things? Morning, not too bad. I'll admit that uh, that United-Liverpool game uh, meant that it overshadowed a lot went on in Bahrain, which <laughs> I don't think many people were complaining about, given uh, the dominance of Max Verstappen on Sunday. Yeah, well, listen, Chris, if you listen to George Russell's comments, apparently the season's over. Max Verstappen has the, has the title won already. It was a bit of a procession, wasn't it? At, at the front, it was. Uh, it, it's not over, for starters, and it's <laughs> definitely not going to be uh, a Red Bull season that they win every single race. I, I'm happy to say that right now, even though, yeah. If it comes back to bite me in December, then so be it. But uh, yeah, George Russell said they should win every race with the performance they've got. Over a season, I mean, we've seen it when even Mercedes have dominated. You get incidents, you get crazy races. Um, you get some some real curveballs that just, you know, if a team can't handle it, someone else gets a win. Uh, what was great is behind Red Bull, uh, there's a proper battle between three teams in Mercedes and Ferrari, which are names everyone will expect. And now Aston Martin, which is the big shock uh, with Fernando Alonso in there. So that was brilliant to see. And uh, that's breathed a bit of new life into the rest of the racing, even if uh, Red Bull had it a bit easy on Sunday. It's, it's mad because that was probably the drive of the day. Fernando Alonso in the Aston Martin, as you say, I think it's his 99th podium for the five different teams. Like he hasn't won a race since 2013. And everyone's thinking when he, when he, when he uh, moves teams at the end of last year, well, this, this, this could go badly, but in Aston Martin, he seems to have found a perfect fit, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a bit of a running joke, um, and with no offence meant to Alonso, but that he's made bad career choices in the past. And sometimes uh, it's been a bit unfair on him because it's looked a bit too long-term and, and beyond the point he would have been with a team. But he left Ferrari uh, when things were going bad to go to McLaren um, back in the V6 era when Mercedes were dominating. Cause he thought McLaren with Honda were the only way anyone would beat Mercedes. Uh, that that went terribly and Ferrari got to winning ways. They didn't win a championship, but they got back to winning ways. Uh, but he, he'd long since left then. Obviously left F1, came back with Alpine, has been in the midfield. I think the one thing was Aston was the gamble that was worth taking with the money they have, the resources they have, the amount of uh, investment they're putting into their team personnel, uh, that someday it would click. If anyone was going to make it to the front, it would be Aston. But no one expected it to be this season. Uh, and the performance shown was very, very impressive. There are going to be circuits that really suit that car even more than Bahrain did. They look quick in pre-season, quick throughout the weekend. You know, I think we could see Alonso getting a pole position or two in the right circumstances. Definitely a win or two in the right circumstances because he's someone who comes alive when there's a chance of it. Uh, he's on 32 wins at the moment and after number 33. And in the past, Alonso would always play it down because he liked to 
kind of exceed expectations and make it seem like he'd done something miraculous. Uh, so he would have been saying, oh, no, there's no chance I, I would win a race this year. Red Bull are too far clear. But even Alonso himself on Sunday said, yeah, if, if we're starting as the second quickest team, there's probably going to be a race or two that comes our way. So I reckon I'll win one, which is refreshing to hear from him. There's He's just mellowed. Uh, in his 40s, because we've got to remember that as well. He's he's 41 now. Um, but yeah, a, a great story that he's got a competitive car at this stage of his career. And he had the, the couple of scraps on track as well, overtaking battles with, with the two Mercedes cars, which was great to see and, and adds a bit of excitement to the whole thing as well. On Mercedes, Hamilton 5th, Russell 7th. Uh, look, they're, what, 50 seconds behind Max Verstappen at the front. Are you concerned? Are you encouraged if, you, if you're a Mercedes fan? Or how, how are you feeling after the weekend and with Jeddah to come in two weeks? I'm actually massively concerned if I'm a Mercedes fan. Uh, I interviewed Toto Wolff on the grid before the race um, and he said that we've got it wrong. We need to change our car concept. Um, we need to completely rethink everything we're doing. And that was before we'd even seen the first race play out. That was the, They knew from their data, from the peak performance they had available, even if they weren't always getting out of the car, that it just wasn't ever going to be good enough to get to Red Bull levels. And to know that very quickly, you know, they, they'd gambled on this concept where they have unique side pods that are very, very slim compared to everyone else, uh, insisted over the winter they were sticking with that because they saw that it could work, but also that it wasn't the big differentiator between them and other teams. And now instantly they've admitted, oh, actually, no, it won't work, uh, which is surprising to that early for them to say that. But um, I guess the encouragement you take from it is, OK, they must have had a plan in mind that if it didn't hit certain targets, what they were going to do next because they've switched so quickly. They're not trying to defend themselves and say, oh, we'll keep working at it. They're like, nope, we're going to scrap this. We're going to bin it and go somewhere else uh, with what we want to do. So uh, a long road ahead, I think, for Mercedes, but maybe an, an exciting one in trying to turn it around completely mid-season uh, within the budget cap, uh, within the kind of restrictions that everyone has right now. It, it'll be tough to do, but it'll be fascinating to see if and when they bring out essentially what will be the closest thing to a new car they can during the year. So, uh, yeah, it'll be fun to watch when, when that happens. Uh, but until then, it's going to be pretty tough going, I think. They're probably going to be third or fourth quickest team uh, for quite a while. We saw um, uh, Matteo, uh, Mattia uh, Bonato pay the price at Ferrari, obviously, Chris, not that long ago. Has uh, Toto escaped a lot of the heat around this? I mean, he's a powerful figure, obviously, within the sport. But, I mean, they've, they've lost their sort of absolute grip on the sport relatively quickly. They have, but no, he's uh, in a different position at Mercedes in the sense that he helps set the team up. He's a shareholder within the team. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's only kind of a third owned by uh, Mercedes parent company. So he kind of owns part of the racing team that exists. And you've got to think of what he did create uh, for a team that came back in in 2010, took a little while to find its feet, and then from 2014 onwards was dominating. Uh, and even even now, it's still a front runner, just you know, a good half a second or so off Red Bull, who have been very impressive. Uh, but they're they're in the right kind of mix that you want to be in to to build on. So I, I don't think he's going to come under too much pressure for too long. I think some of his personnel might, uh, who designed the car, but the culture he's always created there is that everyone kind of, you know, there's no one person to blame. Everyone works together. It does have a big pool of engineers and designers that are pretty big names within that team. So I don't think uh, there'll be actually radical overhaul too much within the personnel. It will just be about the car they've designed. Uh, and it'll be really, really interesting to see because it's probably Toto's biggest test is how he deals with this ongoing failure. Oh, last year could have been a one-off if they got it right at the start of the season and, and were fighting for wins straight away. Uh, up to then, it, obviously, everything had been on an upward trajectory. For the fact that they're not anymore, um, you know, it's a totally different challenge for him to turn that around and keep the attitudes right, keep it positive within Mercedes. So um, 
it will be something interesting to watch the way he deals with it. But I don't think he'll come under too much pressure from from anyone above him because there's not many really people that can call themselves that um, for him to, to go. It was a tale of what went wrong for Ferrari last year, Chris, in, 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 in many uh, races. And look, there were there were mistakes that they made in race strategy, <laughs> famously a lot of times uh, across the course of the season. And it was the same old tale at the weekend. Although, you know, Charles Leclerc speaking afterwards, he, he felt like they had a car that... that certainly could compete for at least a podium. Yeah, I mean, Leclerc should have finished on the podium, I think, as quick as Alonso was, and it would have been fascinating to see Alonso trying to close him down. Leclerc was a pretty comfortable third when he retired. The big worry there was reliability. It was the big thing that uh, Fred Vasseur, the new team principal, who replaced Mattia Bonotto, the big thing he said he wanted to improve over the winter was reliability. He said, this car, if we could have run it at 100% last year at every race, it would have been far more competitive, but they had to kind of dial it back because they had a lot of reliability issues. And in the first race, you get a reliability problem that, that takes your lead car out. That is concerning, and it did annoy Leclerc, I think. Uh, in terms of strategy, I'd say they largely got it right. In the race, their strategy was fine. Uh, but in qualifying, Leclerc actually only did one run in Q3, wasn't on pole, knew he might lose another position, which he did, so he ended up third on the grid, but didn't do a second run to save a set of new tyres, used them at the start of the race, and it got him ahead of Perez and back into second and a bit more competitive. So it was kind of a longer-term view, which was a bit disappointing on Saturday because we thought actually the clerk had a shot at getting on pole, but uh, they were thinking, right, this is our best way of running the race tomorrow, and and it did pay off in, in that sense until his problem. So there, there was some encouraging signs. The car over one lap is quick, uh, and what was interesting is for Sir said... If it's quick over one lap, it can be quick over a race distance. You know, there's no magic difference between the two. It's just about finding the right balance to extract it. And he's pretty confident that Ferrari can get closer to Red Bull, but it will mean nothing if they can't finish the races. So, yeah, that was the concerning aspect was the reliability. Uh, just one final one for me, Chris. Uh, you're, you're talking about encouraging signs. We certainly want encouraging signs when it comes to competitiveness this year. Can you just briefly explain the aerodynamic research and the time that a team gets in order to, to conduct aerodynamic research? It's proportion to a team's success. So the, the worse a team is, the more time they have for this research, essentially. So is that going to level the playing field and, and maybe give us a, a bit of a tighter race this year? Absolutely. It's one of the best things I think Formula One's done. It's almost like the draft system in American sports that, you know, that the worst team gets the most opportunity to catch up. It doesn't mean you definitely will. You've got to make the most of that opportunity. And the worst teams tend to have the worst facilities, so that they've got to work hard at it. But uh, compared to Red Bull, the likes of Mercedes and Ferrari have more time in the wind tunnel, more time to develop their car aerodynamically or, or try and work out how to make it quicker. The big one, again, is Aston Martin. They finished seventh in the championship last year, so they've got way more time compared to Red Bull uh, to work on it. Red Bull also had a penalty for breaching the cost cap last year. That gives them less time on top of their normal penalty for being the winners. So, yeah, there's there's every opportunity for others to close that gap during the season. And something Christian Horner said to me yesterday, or Sunday as it was, losing my days, um, that they had to be conservative a little bit and make sure they had a good, quick car from the start of the season and take no risks with it because they couldn't afford to get it wrong. They didn't have the development time to try and work their way out of any problems. So they're, they're kind of limited slightly in that with what they've done with their car, whereas all the others can kind of uh, take some more risks to try and make bigger steps. And that'll be fascinating to see because it did close the grid up in many ways, even just over the winter. All 10 teams were covered by just over six tenths of a second in the first part of qualifying. You know, nobody could take it easy in, in Q1 on Saturday, which is great to see. Um, and all 10 teams think they can score points. So the field has closed up, but you still always have a, a first and a last. And I think the biggest gap of any is first to second at the moment. So hopefully uh, a few of those chasing pack can, uh, can reel Red Bull in. All right, we will leave it there. Chris Medlin, thanks a million for jumping on.
Thank you very much for having me, guys. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Cheers. The fact that the um, time of the wind tunnel has been compared with the draft system. I love that. I love that. Time of the wind tunnel. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Draft. Oh, sorry. Slow burner there, lads. Yeah. Way over my head. Coblow Line used to be the wind tunnel back mm. in the day. It was all ground. Yeah. The wind used to rattle through there all the way. Great, great old uh, ground name. JD, John Duggan, good morning to you. Adrian, Shane, Kenny, how are you all doing? All good. Really good. How are you keeping? Not too bad, thanks. Uh, we had one comment in here, by the way, and I'm sure you're going to potentially touch on the League of Ireland from last night. Jared O'Connell saying, unbelievable match last night, Rovers against City. Uh, Crowley with the goal of the season, a goal of the season contender. Just inside the circle in the... Uh, yeah, I was watching, it was a bit like David Beckham against Wimbledon, wasn't it? And Further in. When I was watching the League of Ireland Twitter stream about 7 o'clock this morning, 105,000 views... And that's what you want. I'm sure it's a lot more now. That's what you want if you're looking to promote the game, you know. If only we had somebody, JD, who was close to the action when Beckham put the ball in from the halfway mm. line. Beckham yeah, the actual halfway line ball. it in sort of great detail first. Oh, anyway, look, I'm sure we'll have somebody in down the track. It's the, great, it's the greatest halfway line goal there's ever been, isn't it? Well, sorry, the most famous. Just because it just didn't seem to... Look, because it was know. the force, wasn't it? It didn't feel like Possibly. it was a thing. Only because it was the force. Mm. The late great John Motson in commentary. <coughs> what was the follow-up? Like Alonso, I remember. I think he's got a two. Thinking about it now for Liverpool. Do you know what the goal at Luton? Naeem in the European Cup Winners' Cup final. What was the chant, Jeddy? Naeem from the halfway line. The, he was nowhere near the halfway line. I looked back at it before we came on air this morning. Yeah. He was a, he was like the same way Crowley was like nowhere near the halfway line. What was last the night. chant, John Naeem from somewhere close to the halfway line? <laughs> That's right. Line. Well, that? From the edge but he, of he was the over towards the circle. The line. <laughs> yeah, it was still. Good yeah, he was. Distance, he was. Suppose, it was yeah. a good distance. It was just yeah. not the halfway line. Yeah. I, I like you. I've spent the last thirty years in my head every now and then when I see a goal from the halfway line it's an anti-Arsenal chant as well yeah that's fair enough that's fair enough Um, what was the follow in the dressing room afterwards was was there a bit of Neil Sullivan was there a bit of people jumping in or what was the no he would have got a bit of ribbon during the week uh, to be honest because it's never good luck the goalkeeper heading back towards his uh, (laughs) goal when he he knows the (laughs) ball scrambling yeah he's scrambling it's almost like token gesture I think that was token gesture stuff he knew he was kind of uh, he had no blame though in in hindsight there was no blame to be apportioned in his direction very, yeah, very difficult. Even in the modern game now, I'd suggest in terms of that sweeper-keeper, that high starting position now of a goalkeeper, I'd imagine it's actually easier. It's an easier skill now to execute. Some of the keepers I played would never leave their bloody goal line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Remember who you're marking? Uh, oh, well, it wasn't Beckham. <laughs> that particular, he would have been over the right side. Brian McClare. Uh, Giggs, I'd imagine, might have been playing left wing. Cantona, at, yeah. At that wow. time, yeah, yeah. Frightening. Yeah, you did quite a game that day, Giggs. Hey, in your pocket, check your pocket for <laughs> Not. <laughs> yeah, so we had, um, like I said, Mad Rovers haven't won a game yet uh, out of four games in the League of Ireland Premier Division season. Uh, Derry City top, a uh, 4-0 win at UCD, Jordan McInef scoring twice, Bohemians three wins out of four, a 3-1 victory at home to Drogheda United. Slugger Rovers playing with 10 men for 70 minutes against Pats, but they still won 2-1, Dundalk 2-1 winners over Shelburne. So a strange start to the season for Shamrock Rovers who've yet to keep a clean sheet. I, I presume you've talked about it, but it's it's kind of really, it's a real good time now for analysis writers and uh, a week-long uh, trawl of, of, of all the best sports writers like writing about Man United uh, after the capitulation against Liverpool, uh, the 7-0 defeat, like Eric and Hag uh, asking his players to be quiet and listen to the Liverpool celebrations or bringing them for training yesterday morning and uh, then trying to, I think, you know, boost them, boost their confidence. So will Bruno Fernandes be captain for long on the pitch with uh, Harry Maguire in exile? And will Harry Kane, who's been linked again with Tottenham, uh, move away from there with to Manchester United, be going to Manchester United this summer? Because 
who are you lads giving the captaincy to? Like uh, we we're kind the of hey or Varane probably. I would yeah, Casemiro doesn't have probably the language. Uh, I always think just, should, yeah. you know I, I couldn't be one of these people. I generally think your captain, you know, should, should not be a centre half a lot of the time. Is it, what's wrong with the goalkeeper being a captain? Like Peter Schmeichel did it for years. My instinct is no. I have to say why though? You can see the whole pitch. because De Gea can fit in and out of form. And number one thing you want is your keep your. Uh, captain to be Mr. Reliable every week so there'll be an element of that it's been consistent also, enough though this season I think I, there's a communication element to it as well as well generally your captain you're looking for him to take responsibility at various moments in the game just in terms of seeing pictures and actually giving information uh, to people and just actually basically communicating with people and just that's difficult for a goalkeeper I know we're talking about a high starting position but then it's not that high you know, when you're standing uh, next to your centre half so centre midfield so you need to get information so mm. I know it's only a small point for me it's still significant I'll be like you for me wouldn't naturally lean towards a goalkeeper problem with Varane is just get him being on the pitch I don't think you want a situation as a manager you give the captaincy to a player and he's going to be on the pitch for half the, half the games he's going to miss well, he's going to be so now you're pitch, passing the armband on to somebody else it's, it's, getting, it's getting yeah so again so I'd actually probably lean centre half I'd be leaning maybe towards a, a Martinez even Luke Shaw if I was looking at one of the defenders I might be one of, one of those yeah. two but Varane's captain France you, you even saw I was very impressed by him at full time at Anfield the weekend where there's players walking down the tunnel and Varane is screaming at them get back here and he's pointing towards the United fans as in go down and clap the fans for at least uh, sticking the 90 minutes out so uh, I think he has the leadership qualities it's a bit showy yeah. well no it's, 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 it's a bit showy I'm cringing again I'm cringing again at that one no but I mean so that's, a, that's a little bit that's a little bit me bringing attention on yourself you know for the reasons that you were saying there was great Vranya you're kind of for me it's, that's almost embarrassing the players a little bit and I was never one for I've got to be honest with you going and you're embarrassed actually to go in front of your fans not a lack of respect you have to do it though don't you oh, but why do you have to do it because it's show because you have to be seen it's perception you have to be seen you're, you're gutted you know what I mean you've well, let the fans down don't think you have to be visibly seen what's the seen. reaction when you go down to the fans as well like what are you expecting oh, you know, like, yeah you know like, you're probably well, some of them will clap you some of them will boo you but I was at old Trafford last year for the United nil Liverpool 5 game and I, you were thinking at the end of it this is this is Solskjaer's last, last game for sure but as it turned out it wasn't but you, I'm watching Ronaldo at full time and he's walking straight down the tunnel and I, I know a lot of United fans were doing the same thing and what, what is he doing? Do you know he's supposedly a leader so I think seeing someone like Varane hyping up his teammates to go down and that's fair familiar. enough because there's an embarrassment about it and like I'm not going to embarrass you and myself tickets aren't I cheap to matches lads to, uh, you know yeah. fans have spent money on these tickets and, and to not even go down and, and uh, recognise that they're there and, and that some of them at least have stick, stuck out the 90 minutes on the, probably one of the worst days in, in United's history is disgraceful I thought Varane's actions were actually quite, quite strong no, I, I take your point about his captaincy material, and he looks as if he's well respected in the uh, in the dressing room. And yeah, if they can keep him on the pitch. I think yeah, it's a fair, it's a fair call. I just feel as if his injury situation potentially is a problem. I'm never mm. a fan of that in terms of passing the, the armband around the dressing room week to week. So I think yeah, it'll be interesting how the, how he sees it going forward. But I'd be very surprised if uh, Bruno's uh, the answer. I don't even think he'd be in the start. If he gets those players in that he's talking about. We would like about three years of COVID and nobody in the studio and like this kind of feels like a TV setting. <laughs> 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 the TV uh, scenarios. I'm the guy. Remember Adam Park who used to be in the corner. Uh, it was on the day today or whatever and he used to go, Goal! <laughs> JD, you're no Alan Partridge. No, no, no. What have you, uh, what have you got for us? Uh, well, it's interesting about you talk about that because uh, Spurs have been a little bit uncomfortable with Hugo Lloris as captain uh, given he's been so in and out of mm. form. Uh, Chelsea against Borussia Dortmund tonight, 1-0. 
uh, lead for the Germans after the first leg of that Champions League last 16 tie. Uh, they've won 10 games in a row in all competitions, uh, Dortmund. Chelsea have not won back-to-back matches since October. And obviously the pressure's on Graham Potter because the fans haven't warmed him. Uh, whatever about the fact that he's dealing with all these players that half of them he probably didn't sign or was part of. But I think the fans being on his back hasn't helped either. Um, Sam Bennett in fifth place in general classification entering the third stage of Paris-Nice today's stage of time trial in Dompierre en Berlin but yeah so Chelsea's the big uh, fish how long is he going to last uh, Kenny Graham oh, Potter am I allowed to talk now talking anytime you want anytime you want Kenny big, as you know he's got to be a bit jumpy there John got told off because <laughs> I was back in school I did talk a bit in the classroom as well John to be honest with you I can imagine yeah yeah sorry John it was the Chelsea uh, Chelsea question was it <laughs> yeah. you've, made, you've majorly moved on from the, your uh, Tottenham reference is Graham Co- Potter getting the boot if they lose tonight uh, if, I think he might be. In the, I think it helped in the result of the week and going. If he lost the weekend going into this game, yeah, I think so. Never felt he was in a huge amount of trouble. I, I take him at the word the owners when they say, "Look, we've made a commitment yeah. to this manager. We feel as if potentially he can develop the squad, his coaching capabilities." So I actually kind of buy into that. But I, I, that that said, they're businessmen at the end of the day, and I feel as if at any point they feel as if, hold on, we've made the wrong decision here. I don't think they'll hang around. I think he'll go, yeah. but I don't. I don't think they're. I don't think we're at that uh, point. I've always felt with Potter, he just got. He's got to show a little bit between now and the end of the season. I think he's got massive issues in there. You mentioned there, John, player recruitment, the numbers that they've brought in in such a short period. That is tough to make. More the most difficult things for a manager. Thirty players rolling onto the training ground. Oh, ridiculous! Uh, uh, every morning, right? What are we doing this morning? I want to be involved in this. What do you mean? I'm training with. We've got to go and train over there, not with the main group and trying to manage all of that that is very very probably the toughest thing he's going to have to face I just think he needs to show something Edge. I'm not saying guaranteeing Champions League football and like that but in indicators between now and the end of the season that yeah this is coming together trust me I can get us where you want to be uh, alright thanks JD fair play alright lads 5 to 9 it's OTPAM uh, you're watching with lots of come Tommy Rooney by the way will be uh, coming on in just a little bit to give us his updated power rankings after the football at the weekend uh, we're live with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night edition available now and uh, we've Vinnie Perth live in studio another round of uh, League of Ireland games last night so he's live in studio with us next before all of that uh, Tom English at the BBC on Scotland's expectations against Ireland next weekend they have a chance against Ireland if, if, they, if they were to beat Ireland and then beat Italy then that's four wins, and they've never they've never managed four wins in the Six Nations before. So that would be uh, extraordinary. Uh, a lot of work to do before then for them. I don't think, although you'll find a lot of Scottish rugby fans who are loving what they're seeing from the from the Scotland team. But I think you'd you'd have to search long and hard to find someone who believe believes that they will win. Everyone thinks that they can win on Sunday, Scotland. You won't find too many people, I think, here who believe that they will win. Um, but they're loving what they're seeing. The team is playing really, really exciting rugby. And I think everyone at 19-0 down um, after 19 minutes in Paris, I think everyone's saying, okay, this is, this is when the fun stops. You know, two wins out of two, first time since 1996, 19-0 down now. This is Armageddon. And yet, 50 minutes later, it's 25-21. So that, fift, that 50 minutes in Paris, Scotland won at 21-6. And we're completely on, on top. And actually, 
They scored three tries in the day. They had really, really good chances to score another three. So if you're trying to draw positives from a defeat, there were plenty for Scotland and Paris. Full interview with uh, Tom English available up on our YouTube channel. You can head up there to uh, have a look at that and we'll have plenty more build-up to the game as well as we work through the week. Uh, before that, Vinnie Perth, good morning to you. Morning, how are you doing? Welcome to the studio, how are you keeping? It's all good, yeah. Yeah, just about defrosted from last night. <laughs> yeah, Football. Kenny was saying the same. Uh, yeah. same. Were you regretting Coming your... out with coppers. Uh, well, uh, half down in the morning, Vinnie, or what are we, what well, are we talking about? picking you up, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A few Jaeger bombs. <clears throat> were you uh, regretting your match choice last night after seeing what happened out in Tala? It was, because Jen, I drove past Tala Stadium to head into Downingham <laughs> Park and I just thought it'd be a comfortable win for Rovers and I thought balls be tested by Drota and yeah, I would have rather been in Tallis Stadium that far all looked uh, quite an entertaining game. Uh, another good show of strength from uh, Bowles last night. That you were there, I presume, to sort of run the rule over their title credentials. And Yeah, I don't think they're ready to win a league yet and, and um, I don't think they claim that. Uh, mind you, as players and staff, I'd like to think they're trying to get as close to it. We've always seen um, sort of freak years, but uh, just building nicely, it's been steady. Um, I know there was a lot of sort of turmoil early of last se- or in the middle of last season when they changed manager, but they are the one club or one of the clubs that have been structured about how they've done their business. They've got a lot of their business done early. They look like a settled League of Ireland team. And that's a that's a strange thing to say because when I look at someone like Sligo, albeit had a good result last night, they brought in 10 players, seven of them from outside of the league where... Mm. Uh, Bowles is like sort of League of Ireland, a lot of League of Ireland players, albeit two centre halves are from Poland, but I just mean structurally they're in a good place. A lot of their bench of uh, young lads coming through the system and that, and they look in a good place, Bowles, and they were quite comfortable last night in, in, in their win. And another great goal by Jordan Flores, brilliant free kick. I think all they want now is a Jonathan Afalabi goal. Like, yeah, to, he don't, keep them happy. He, to be honest with you, he had about four or five really good chances last night, and he, he probably should have scored. He played quite well, but just. It's funny, uh, things are going quite well for Bowles, they'd be happy enough, but it's just, in goal, Talbot made another mistake, lacking a little bit of confidence, and uh, Johnny just needs a goal just to settle himself down, he's probably trying a little bit too hard, and uh, probably should have scored. Yeah. How did um, the young boy do, I know it was there, was there just on the lads, was down talking for Friday night, young McMahon came off the bench and impressed, had a little cameo there, saying a, a little bit of him prior to that, looks a very clever little operator, now he got a start last night in central midfield, how did he do? Yeah, he was really good. And I think the best thing, and you'll know this, it wasn't that he was outstanding or he was the best player on the pitch. He just looked like he belonged at that level. For a young boy, that's that's a big thing you can say about fellas that come into teams. Um, as I said, nothing nothing where you, you'd really go, oh, he you know, bits of skill or anything, but just looked like he belonged at that level. And uh, when we done the, the sort of pre-season show here, he's one of the players we picked out, myself and Richie, to say he's one to watch. And I think... Uh, just, just letting him play and just grow into it, and I yeah. think he's a real star for the future. He looks, he looks strong in that central midfield area. Funny, I mean, Flores. He played left back last night, normally a central midfielder, but they got like um, obviously Keats come back. Keith Buckley, I think, yeah. will help in terms of personality, character. There's a lot there as well. Like in the last season, you would have seen him play Vinny like James Clark yeah. hasn't actually started this season. Really impressed me towards the tail end of last season. So they're looking well in that kind of central midfield area, kind of the. You know, the engine room with the team, they're looking, yeah, they're looking and, quite and strong. Yeah, and that's the point. James Clark's a great example of it. He's a League of Ireland player, played with mm-hmm. a really good, good, good player. And uh, But Adam MacDonald uh, yeah. gives them huge energy. Yeah. And you know what? In their league, you've got to have energy. And mm. Adam was left out last night with a bit of an injury Friday, Monday. But 
be put Buckley back into midfield and he had that same energy and mm. you know what like there's a lot to be said for legs in the modern game got to get around the pitch got to got to get your your tackles in Buckley Adam McDonald give them that and then they've got the sort of the flair players like uh, uh, James Akatunda was brilliant last night in the number 10 role don't know whether he played there in Chelsea or not but he no, was he really yeah, really start, good yeah. in that position yeah. so that's what I'm saying there's a bit of cohesion about that Bowles team and there's a lot to like about them surprised Derry let Akatunda go but then I suppose their, their recruitment has been fairly decent since the, since the season ended as well but he's a quality player yeah he is he is he, I, I would say um, in fairness he didn't set the world alight at Derry so you've got to yeah You've got to, some people just sue certain clubs, but just last night it was really good. Whether it was it was the first time I'd seen him in a bit of a while, but last night he was he was excellent. But Derry aren't short of players in that position. I mean, Patching and McElhenney can play there, just to name two. So they're not short in that position anyway. Shape. Uh, reading some of the reports this morning, Vinny, the euphemism about it been a long season for Drada was uh, I'm assuming sort of uh, other words for they're expected to be there thereabouts in the race at the bottom. Yeah, I think I think. Um, I think it's going to be a difficult season for them, particularly when you go Friday, Monday. Remember, draw they're probably one of the only teams now that are technically part-time. They train in the evenings, and it can be difficult for their players going that Friday, Monday. And uh, they started the game quite well. They deserve to be one all. Got a really good goal, albeit a goalkeeper mistake, and a couple of big chances to take the lead. You know yourself, if you take the lead, that fills your lungs and you'll go on and you'll 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 fight. Particularly, as I said, Friday Monday game, but they ran out of steam a little bit. And um, young lad on loan from Lincoln, a guy called Draper, one to watch. Eighteen year old, he is a proper player, young player. Lincoln have sent him over for some game time. And, he was outstanding for them last night. Right. Uh, he scored a good goal, good yeah, player. Those type of players become important, didn't they? For the last number of years, in 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 particular, I'm not, never a great fan, really, in terms of seeing too many of these short term deals. Mm-hmm. You know, players coming over, you know, and then popping back to the to the UK. You always feel as if, in terms of trying to build a team, video you know better than me in terms of coaching management, in terms of building a team, and you want players fully committed in terms of professional and short to medium term contracts, like to build around, but. It's 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 hard to be overly critical. If you get a little jewel like Vinny, haven't seen that lad playing, if you get yeah, some one or two of them in your Trust team, me, you love him. You would hate to mark him, but like we say, Evan Ferguson's a big unit, isn't he? Like yeah. this guy is eighteen, same age, and and he's if not bigger than him, you know, stronger looking, and so it's uh, yeah, he's one to watch, one to keep an eye on. Did you uh, catch any of the highlights from at least from Tala? Yeah, any? I did. I, I just watched the goals this morning. Yeah. Um, there, by the way, we should say Aaron Bulger was obviously there was a long delay yeah. and he was taken off last night. And um, Cork City tweeted last night said that he regained consciousness and been monitored in hospital. So we wish him the best. Obviously, it resulted in a, a long delay there. That um, I think it was ten minutes of added time at the end of the game. Yeah. So I was watching for updates because obviously it was all the other games had finished, and I'm like. Oh, the ref's the only one here, isn't he? He's yeah. given Rovers a chance, but obviously there was a huge uh, head clash with Trevor Clark, and that's why Sean Hoare scored seven minutes into injury time, and I think there was 13, 14 played in the end. So, so yeah. Um, yeah, like, uh, I think Stephen Bradley will be a little bit worried this morning. There's not, you can't get away from that. Like, I still expect sitting here that Rovers will win the league, and probably a little bit comfortably, to be honest with you. I still really? think they're that good. They've got players that are, and a squad that's capable of doing it, but, but, as I said a couple of times, I think this is a great Rovers team, but I want to see them tested to see are they the real deal. And I think you need to be tested. Most good teams have someone, whether it's over the years, whether it's Chelsea driving or um, Arsenal driving, that great United team on a vice versa, Liverpool City. I'd like to see 
Derry really test this Rovers team and this is the start of the test run yeah. so I think they will I, get a, yeah. I know it's early in the season like, but um, obviously I saw Derry uh, last night but you just get a sense of they're kind of ready you look at the, the squad depth there even kind of last night I mean, McGonagall was on the bench they brought Colin Whelan just talking centre forward so King Kevin I think actually started the game Ollie O'Neill uh, came off the bench mm-hmm. kind of left wing r- real quality McElhenney was not what didn't start Duffy no, you know what I mean? P- Patching played with Diallo in midfield yeah. they could have put a pairing of Adam O'Reilly in there Dummigan you know what I mean no real drop off there either so yeah I think Rovers have it all all to do I agree with you in terms of the quality in the Rovers team it's absolutely phenomenal but I think this this dirty team is is best place it's ever been to put the a best challenge best part of the dirty team so you can is Arguably the best four players: McElhenney, Duffy, McJanet, their captain, and Dummigan was probably the best player in the league last year. Yeah. Definitely, w- deservedly won it, because, particularly when your team wins the league. <laughs> for them, uh, and he looked after McElhenney. There's a lot of injuries with Patrick. You've got to be careful, in particular early in the season, to leave him out yesterday and win comfortably. Yeah, yeah, but, and not only that. Thing. Yeah, but Jordan McInerney. I saw uh, Jordan Mac play a few. He was on uh, shells alone a couple of times, and you could see there's a bit of. Bit of talent there, but still young, like yeah. a bit of consistent in terms of. But I saw a different type of player last night. Larson, that's in the space he, he of six had a long months. Period of Arsenal, didn't he? When he was younger, and yeah. so it was over a back loan. Yeah, back he, he, he was a real um, star of the future, and, and again, it didn't settle the shells for whatever reason. But the Derry boys like to be in around Derry, you know. Right. When you manage them, they're they're good lads. <laughs> they like their they like their He's, home cooking. The, the Derry right. women are in control. Let's right. be. Yeah, oh, no, I thought no, you were just no, going to leave it at the dirty women there. <laughs> they, they ruled the rules. So once they're girls. in the round home, they're in a better place. Yeah, to win the league, though, Vinny, you have to be, you have to have a fortress at home. And Tallis Stadium has always been a fortress. But like to be conceding four, I think it was the first time in the league in five years they've conceded four at home Rovers last night. Like that's that's surely a concern. Do you know who, con- who scored four against them? No. It's going to be a Dundalk one, isn't it? Well, maybe, but anyway, uh, yeah. Look. Ten goals conceded. The entirety. <laughs> I thought you were going to impress us there, Vinny. No, give it, give us the is, answer. That would have been I'll impressive. Leave it with Shane for a minute. Put it past. He'd need more than a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give me the end of the show. on Shane's questions because it surprised me earlier when you said that you expect him to win it at a canter. Now I'm paraphrasing, but ten goals conceded in the entirety of last season at home and six in the last two. Is it? Yeah, but it's it's very early to like. You've got to give the. You've got to give context. I was at the Derry Rovers game on Friday. And Derry, to be fair, won like a champion's deal, not playing that well. But Rovers were probably, particularly in the first half, better team. Ran out of a little bit of ideas late on the game and Derry managed the game quite well to win the game 2-1. But there's no way I come away from that going, Derry are ahead of Rovers. Um, I think I still think Rovers in a better position, which seems a bit strange now after four games and Rovers have really struggled. But the alarm bells will have to be going off this morning. You've just conceded four goals and there are four bad goals to concede. And not just that, the two goals against Derry on Friday, um, one was from a corner, it was a brilliant counter-attack by, by Derry from uh, Rovers' corner. And the second goal, they cut them open really. Now, they've been missing centre-half, but they were more or less full strength last night. So, there is concerns. I'm just, I'm just being honest where I think they are Rovers at the moment. But this is the bit of pressure that, as a manager now, you've got to experience probably for the first time all the staff there will have to experience a little bit of people asking questions some fans won't be happy with with the start and 
that's the challenge and, and the wheels can come off very quickly in a club like that but they can also go on a, r- a run and win 4-5 or five games well, very there's, quickly there, there's probably a bit of when you talk about the alarm bells going off tomorrow there's probably a bit of Stephen Bradley that can use the outcome the eventual outcome last night as a bit of, bit of a positive almost like we were in, absolutely in the sticky stuff and we get out of it but th- the details after that looking at I know that you haven't seen the game the full uh, 100 minutes of the game whatever it was uh, but the details after that like what does he fix how does he fix it um, well uh, uh, and Kenny will probably know this more than anyone particularly being a centre half you fix your defensive side the game first that, and it's mm. actually it's probably as a coach it's the easiest thing to fix the easiest session you can do is to say to the team we're not going to concede goal we, we've got to start with that you look what Klopp is doing at Liverpool at the moment that's what he's trying to fix and in many ways that's the easiest thing as in it's easy to coach probably the hardest part of coaching is, is being inventive and coming up with different ideas getting your full backs here there and everywhere to create chances so that that part is fixable. I think they'll have the three centre halves probably available from from Friday onwards. Uh, Sean Hoare came off the bench again, so they'll be set defensively from Friday onwards. And that's why when I see that back three going back together from Friday onwards, I see them building a little bit of consistency. But it's a tough little run of games. I think they play shells away, Pats at home, and Dundalk away. So that's a little bit of pressure, like already, and and. That's what they. That's what the big job's all about. Like it's a little bit like that. That's it's what amazing, winning leads about. Weekend football, as as we all know, it's amazing. Look, even like Dundalk, slow start to the season, then they pitch up a few days ago, put five pass parts again, win again back to back wins. Cork probably the same. A difficult start, losing at home to yeah. kind of bows, you know, pack down there and turn us cross. You're thinking, oh, bad start. Like search maybe for the get beaten dirty, understandably. Then bounce back with a win against UCD, and obviously took a bit of confidence for that, and took it into the game last night. Get a point there, and you can only imagine what that will do for the confidence of the, mm. the Cork players. So in the space of kind of three, four days, you know what I mean? Well, it's a on, total transformation. On Cork, so they go four-two up, and then it seems like they just like they sit back. I mean, again, if you're Colin Healy this morning, and I see some of the quotes from him, he must be—I um, was going to say—he must be pulling his hair out, but he's, I'm sure, very frustrated about about that outcome and not having that killer instinct. To, just close it off. Yeah, the the winner the winner and Colin would, would be disappointed at come the end of the game. But I imagine on the sort of reports and the, the bits I seen um on, on the scouting app I have is it would bring on the Alamo a little bit. So like you know, you, you sort of it wasn't seven minutes into injury time because of that delay a little bit in the ninety seven minute, you knew you know, Colin would have been realistic. 83rd, 84th minute, there was probably another 15, 20 minutes to play at that stage because of the injury that came. So, I'd be yeah. very surprised if uh, Colin was in that dressing room after the uh, the game, like talking down uh, the players, being overly critical of how they uh, let a two goal lead slip. I would have thought it'd been the opposite in terms of, well, what a performance, lads. Let's take confidence from this. We've come to Rovers, the league champions, and show that we can compete. Speaking about kind of management in terms of what approach to take, we're talking about uh, obviously Ten Hag after the game, how he addressed the Manchester United players in the moment, just kind of choosing the right word. So I would have, would have thought the talk would have been very positive in the Cork dressing room last night, despite the, the fact they leaked it. Yeah, and I thought on Friday night playing UCD was a big game for them because they hadn't picked up a point they were at home to UCD and if they hadn't picked up a point against UCD or won it could have been a long season <laughs> we talk about confidence momentum whatever that right word is but for Cork now four points in two games over that weekend is huge for them it's a real platform What's the atmosphere like in Damien Duff's dressing room at the moment do you reckon like, so four points from four games and then Shamrock Rovers to visit this Friday night as well so they don't get any easier Yeah it's, it's, it's interesting because um 
uh, there was a bit of argy bargy in that game after yeah, yeah. it as well, and and sometimes that can galvanise. You don't get me wrong, but it was di- disapp- like that'd be a disappointing one. I believe they were very good for the first half. Damien set them up and tactically very very strong. I think what you're seeing with Damien's team is tactically uh, on the pitch they're very strong. You know, players know what they're doing. They're just short of one or two really good players mm. to, to elevate them to another level. I would say. I would say he's finding a frustrating on on Damien and. Uh, spent two years when doing a pro license. I imagine he's not a pleasant person to be around this morning until he gets his he gets that out of his system. But it's a great game to play Rovers in uh, for him. In to- like he'll enjoy that as well. Don't get me wrong. So sometimes you want a big game to follow a, a defeat. It actually helps you motivate the players. You were making that point about United earlier as well that you, you almost need it. Chelsea or Spurs, they have them after the international break, but yeah. you almost need a big game to come. Just to, after get it, to wash it out. Like yeah, exactly. Get it out of the system. It's probably a fair point. Yeah, probably atmosphere as well. Maybe help she- uh, Shells Friday night. Uh, it was a little bit of that last week against Bowes. And great atmosphere down there. You just feel as if uh, Duffers, he enjoys that. He kind of feeds off that a little bit in his team. Uh, Vinny's right. The defend- Duffers' defensive structure there is very solid. Him and Joey O'Brien. Yeah. They're really well set up. Our possession of the football. The challenge for them going forward is as an attacking force how many chances can we create probably don't create too many uh, clear cut chances um, I think that's why Matty uh, Matty Smith, Matty Smith and Boyd yeah. they're, they're not playing at the moment that's huge yeah, to give them that bit more of a cutting edge uh, higher up the pitch always that happy balance between defensively sound and offering an attacking threat as well everybody every manager searching for that What's the like? He he comes across from the very first interviews he did before he came into the Shelburne job as a very intense character and like yeah. somebody who really sort of drives for success and has the hunger and clear passion for it and all that. What's the mu- mood music around him now? Because like you know, it was a lot of the language obviously at the start of last season was well, you know, we're not here to make up the numbers. We are absolutely going to try and win the title and the things that you expect him to say. It starts to ring a little bit hollow when. The evidence is, you know, which which might not be all all of his fault, of course. Um, when the evidence is that that's not what's going to happen, I think I think part of Damien's problem is he's he's got such high standards for himself, and he probably needs some investment to help him. Um, I think structurally, Kenny said, "You go and watch shells." Uh, they're really well prepared. I imagine every player knows the job walking onto that pitch. Uh, training sessions will be excellent. Him, himself and Joey really worked at a high level. And, and as I said, I've seen Damien on the pro licence. Outstanding coach. Absolutely outstanding. Um, what is it that's outstanding about him? Um, I, like You can't get to the level he got as a player without having a drive and a determination and a real understanding and work with the great people he worked under. Like He'd, he'd often use examples of Mourinho and, and different bits and pieces but he, he then switched to Brendan Rodgers and remember he was a coach with Brendan Rodgers at a, a Celtic and Brendan probably gets a bit of a, a harsh sort of deal but I think anyone that speaks or has worked under Brendan Rodgers as players I've played from would say a brilliant coach and a brilliant person to work under so he's learned he's learned He's learned from outstanding people and he's got real high standards. The challenge for Shelbourne is can they give him a squad to go to the next level? Um, it's not being disrespectful of, of the players he have, but they're probably short of one or two outstanding players that can elevate that team on, onto the next level. So it's being up and down and because Damien sets standards and he's box office it brings a lot of attention and some of his comments are picked up on where other managers would probably get away with making the same comments and 
that's creating a little bit yeah, of tension. You can't, be, you can't beat him up for coming out. My ambition is no, to, no. to win the league title with this club. That's exactly what you want to hear. You know, too, we're too used to hearing managers maybe talking it down, and I don't expect too much from you know the kind of low bar. I'd rather uh, hear the opposite, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I want to win the league title with this team, but nobody. I tell you, what, I'm jealous you know, of it. I, imagine being able to. I, I never got the opportunity to say, yeah, I'm building a team for the next two or three years. Put the slippers on, huh? Wait for two or three years to build a team. It's a rarity, isn't uh, it? You, any, you've got to have that. You've got yeah. to, like... Yeah, you need time. And you need the backing. You're absolutely right. Realistically, you look at that team. You've seen the play as well, that Shelburne team. You probably think, you know, you can tap into the potential of that team. It's a team that can compete yeah. maybe top three, uh, top four. But yeah, absolutely, in, in terms of... Uh, squad depth he's, he's obviously significantly short of mounting a challenge to the scouting app um, I've noticed a distinct lack of chat about Jack Byrne for um, Ireland in the last little while anything yeah, you about th- him or? I think I think um, uh, particularly in the game on Friday night uh, Graham Bork was, was the outstanding player on the pitch for the first sort of 45 minutes Gra- Graham is finding his feet with fitness levels and different things and he, he sort of he comes off a lot in games um, Jack, Jack was quiet by his own standards uh, misplaced a couple of passes um, I still say Jack Bourne and Patrick McElhenney are the two most gifted footballers in our league uh, but Jack's not reached that level yet and that will be affecting Rovers' results at the moment and uh, you would imagine it's only a matter of time be, before he starts burning up again but um, Listen, if, if Jack doesn't do it, I'm not short for options in terms of where do you go. The bench, um, coming, the oh, bench that came there. in last night is, um, sets them apart from everybody else. Yeah, well, you look, you look at Simon Power came on against Derry and he, like, he's just got such pace and he's someone picked up a lot of injuries. Really outstanding young talent he was. 21s, uh, Neil Ferrugia at the 21s a couple yeah. of years ago were, were real pace. Rovers probably don't play with wingers so it doesn't suit the two of them a little bit and they've got to find something there to get the very best out of them players but look um, the, 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 the talent they have like Gaffney hasn't started Johnny Kenny started was quiet against Derry got an outstanding goal but they've got like a choice between Johnny Kenny Rory Gaffney you know Jack Kenny, Bourne Kenny was a massive oh. sign at the time yeah, he kind of rolled your eyes a little bit when I heard that <laughs> A sign at all, well, uh, good luck. You know the quality yeah. he has that he showed us like a prior to going to Celtic. Liam Bort as well is a tidy little operator. You're talking about Pace, uh, Power and Frugia. Bort's another little tennis, yeah. little clever little operator on the inside. Rovers have plenty of them. So you look at the squad and you could argue it's a stronger squad mm. than they, they had last year, but obviously just struggling to find their rhythm at the moment. A couple of comments coming in here that I want to get to before we wrap. I see Owen uh, Kenny has signed for Dundalk as yeah. well in the last 24 hours. 17 year old played. Interna- full international for under 17s for Northern Ireland and has trained with the 19s down here is that yeah, right? Yeah no he hasn't played a full international for Northern Ireland I've played the, the, the training squad he's okay, been part okay. of development so um, got invited up and, and participated in that but he's Which not is, is that your way of saying well he can still play for Republic of yeah, Ireland yeah and he yeah. will well I would hope so yeah. Owen is um, Owen's a really great kid um, after when we played for Dundalk because we obviously had the Astro Turf he'd be out hammering uh, balls off the crossbar until one o'clock in the morning while we were still finishing up and doing bits and pieces. So he knows the pitch quite well. So a uh, really talented young player, been on a couple of trials as well. And um, it will be difficult being Stephen Kenny's son wouldn't be the easiest thing in the world, as in you know expectations etc. So uh, hopefully he can bubble away underneath. But uh, it's great to him getting his first professional contract. Opposition, uh, the old he, man was a clunky centre. Yeah, he, he, he's oh. he's the opposite to his dad. Thank God, thank God, he's the opposite to his dad in every in every sense of the word. <laughs> <laughs> he, he he's probably like he, 
scores some great goals. Probably somewhere. Are you allowed to say nine and a half? He's a, he's been a striker. Yeah, yeah. Or, or yeah, he can yeah. drop no, into the ten. Yeah, but good 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 finisher. Scored some really good goals. Um, and not sure they're trying things. Uh, you know, in terms of bit of bit of quality here and there. Uh, mean Street Posse shouldn't have let Ty Grine go Derry signed him for a reason great keeper Mark Kennedy says Hartman last night was brilliant for Sligo genuine dangerous pace and skill Peter M says Derry will walk the league they'll be 7 or 8 points clear by June Rovers are not good and I have Cork City uh, and I have Cork City seen Cork City against both teams away City were very unlucky to draw City have a chance to be 6th or 7th Slightly counter to your point, Vinny. And uh, finally, Mark says Shells had a goal ruled out in injury time that was two yards onside as well. Uh, played much better uh, when they went behind. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with loads of that. The, the challenge for Cork will be, um, I think, without being disrespectful to UCD, I think UCD winning the playoff for last year against Waterford was a big relief for a couple of clubs, to be honest with you. It's like, because, you know... Uh, and I've spoken highly UCD on this show so I'm not afraid to say this part of it say you know UCD probably going to be one of the bottom two clubs so it's probably a relief so all Cork have to do this year is finish third from bottom and build from there now they'd want Colin Healy and all the staff in the club will want to finish her but just be in the league for a couple of years solid they'd have too, too many years of up and down and uh, just build and build slowly great crowds down there again the shed full really good atmosphere good pitch good ground so just toward last, I know they want more than that. Toward last will be good enough. No playoff, no drama. Just survive and build from there. Yeah, just because I say, hitting a lot of positive voice down there. The new ownership down uh, there, speaking to one or two people. Yeah, a lot of good stuff. It's always a good thing when people are talking well about the new ownership. You've got the right ideas, buy-in, you know, looking medium to long-term, developing yeah, younger players and looking to build, etc., etc. So... Yeah, all goes very well. And developing young players, they're yeah. doing that big, good job at that at the same yeah. time, Kenny, which is important. Yeah. Thanks, William. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Vinnie Perth uh, joining us in studio to reflect on the League of Ireland. I'll catch up with Vinnie again down the track. It is 9.21. You're watching OTB AM. Here's some of the highlights that will be available on the OTB Podcast Network over the course of the day. You'll be able to pick up the brilliant football pod. I'm obliged to say that soon as Tommy's standing by and ready to come on with his power rankings. The brilliant football pod. Uh, the uh, equally, if not slightly better football, uh, the Koi Gig pod. And then the absolutely brilliant uh, Monday Night Rugby as well um, will be all available there for your delectation. You can follow OTB across our social uh, channels subscribe as well to the o to podcast network after this short break it is the aforementioned Tommy Rooney and his latest football power rankings Somebody's critics these pundits generally speaking I'd be a fan of off the ball exactly and like Tommy knows his football obviously listening to football pod the odd time when I was looking at the power rankings and I thought that Jesus own must still be feeling the effects of these mushrooms but they just dismiss you like you, you know you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion <laughs> Tommy Rooney good morning to you Good morning, Adrian. Hi, Kenny. Hi, Shane. How are you now? Morning, Tommy. Morning. I'm good. All good. How are things? Very good form. We're going to. We're I, so excited to have you on. We're just keeping you off screen for the second. And yeah, we'll, I was going to say. Oh, there he is. I was going to say. Where's his face? Good, oh no. Good to see you, Ken. We switch off again. Can we switch off again? <laughs> I always I, like the I headphones. Believe. Yeah, the headphones make him look like a GA commentator, which which adds to looking the very pale. Tommy's is. looking very nice. pale. Is that the background? Is ours? It just. It's been. just. He's under the weather. Under the weather, Kenny. Yeah. So were you a under sickly child, Tommy? Sickly child. <laughs> under, under the weather, pal. And I still oh, are you? Ah, bless. I hear we're under time pressure. In so go for it. Adrian Ooh. Barry fashion. So let's get that's, into this. Okay. That's John Duggan talking. Just, just never fire. shuts up, John. <laughs> so, a couple of corrections. 
on slide four here. Uh, London are down a spot, Carlo are up one, Wexford are down one, even though they still have an outside shot of promotion, I'm not sure it's going to happen. Longford, bottom of Division 3 alongside Tip, are down to 28th. Wicklow have moved up two, Oshie McConville's side are in the promotion hunt after huge wins against Leash and Leitrim. Leitrim has slipped back a spot, they can still get promoted, but after back-to-back defeats, they need to beat first and second place Sligo and Leash next. For Tip, they're in 25th, the freefall continues. If people are looking closely at this now in the next slide, they'll ask why Leash have jumped up two spots, but there's a bit of a correction going on here. They are in pole uh, position for promotion alongside Sligo, who, like Leash, are getting the job done. No changes to Antrim, who are in a bit of bother after a hammering to West Mead at the weekend. Antrim should have been dropped out of there. And for Mana, but fear not, there'll be another power rankings before the end of the league, and we could be fixing the form and the issues that do lie with the power rankings. As I said before, I'm not calling myself to be infallible like Owen Sheehan or the Pope. <laughs> Changes can be made here. Down, move back a bit. They fell short to Cavan, to be expected. Promotion is still doable, but Westmead and Fermanagh are in pole position to join Cavan in that top spot. So Westmead and Fermanagh meet next and we'll see what they're all about then. Limerick got their first points of the league. They drew at Mead. They kicked 17 points. The possibly should have beaten them uh, the good and the bad for Mead on show once more very impressive in attack very open in defence um, but that point edges them up the table I don't think they'll get a late surge but maybe with Munster around the corner there might be a bit of momentum we'll see how Limerick get on but they look guaranteed to go down on one point Kildare in 17th I am not sure what I can say about Kildare anymore Loud delivered at the weekend Kildare can still save themselves so we'll see what happens but just sliding back and back into 16 spot big moment for Loud another big win at the weekend they're making progress but it is from a low base I think Loud have played three Leinster quarterfinals in the last six years um, they've got smashed in all of them Mead put 27 points by them Dublin bet them by 18 points Kildare bet them by 16 points so Loud are coming from a low base but there is progress going on here the shape that Mickey Hart hasn't played and their kick out press is very very good like last year they relied on Samuel Roy he went off injured at the weekend and has still got the job done so their score is stepping up for loud across the pitch and that is a big part to them progressing um, I don't think they're second best in Leinster yet you'll see why in a minute Cavan 15th Mead 14th Westmead are in 13th spot um, I'm not sure they'll get much higher and Clare have slipped back a spot to 12th they're in a tough position at the minute it's unfortunate but it's a rootless division division 2 uh, they were poor in the second half against Cork last week after throwing away six-point leads in back-to-back games. Um, they're away to Derry next. Tough ask, but can they spoil the promotion party and give themselves a lifeline? In 11 position, James Dunn, who's Cork. They are the top goal scorers across the division. Creeping, creeping was, up. Very impressed them on Sunday, Adrian. Even without their, you could say, Marquis Man, Stephen Sherlock. There is loads of talent in Cork and Cleary has them playing in a really, really good way. Um, Sean Powder and Maddie Taylor were key at the weekend. They scored three goals between them. Tommy, I don't know where to jump in with my issues on this. So I'll I, just sort I of one meld well, them all into one. Well. And one of them oh, if you want to jump in now. But, but, uh, I in pay now, yeah. fair cl- fairly close attention to Division 3. How Antrim have not fallen into the fourth slide there is um, the pummeling they got. Now, uh, Westmead just haven't been at the level I'm almost surprised to see them in 13th which is a slightly unusual thing for me to say okay, can we that I them to be at because Andrew. I thought that Cavan I thought that I actually think Cavan are yeah. getting the bounce 
that I expected Westmead to get from the Talton Cup last year in that they're putting away again down what a down slip one spot down or not down Hold should on. have fallen a few more spots Calvin for me sorry I, I'm a Monaghan, I'm a Monaghan man this is, this is very hard for me to say Tommy but Calvin should absolutely be higher Monaghan scored I, two frees in the entirety of the second half against 14 man goal at the yeah. weekend and have held firm oh well rightly so number nine is, is hey, they should, they should have fallen no 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 no. Hold your horses. They still have four Not points. Not in that Pick it up wherever you want. <laughs> right. Shane, I'll come back to you. Adrian, <laughs> you haven't been on the power rankings. This is the fourth version this year. I've explained numerous times already why Westmead started at such a high spot. They are sliding back. There's a bit of correction going on here. But they started in 12th position this year after their Talchin Cup exploits. Cavan, unless they get to the Ulster final, are not competing for Sam Maguire. I don't see them going They're, any higher. Cavan at the minute are ahead of Westmead. Even if they win yeah. division yeah, yeah, I actually agree with you. They I agree are. With like you. all evidence, but, and, and it kills me to say it, but all evidence. But hold on. Well, how They're many definitely ahead of Mead. Mead drew, drew with Limerick. They um, conceded 17 points. That is a it's disaster. Division 3 from, and Division 2. I know, but I'm just saying. Cavan have beaten all in front of them. You're saying why Antrim aren't down the fourth side yet. Antrim lost two games in injury time to fluky goals they got absolutely tanked at the weekend and they have a huge job in their hands if, but if, I'm Antrim, if Antrim aren't slipping back after taking a pummeling like that against a team that I don't that clearly aren't in the conversation or anywhere near but it like, Tommy you grew up a kick of the ball from King's Court you, you have a lot of Cavan friends I'd imagine you could be in trouble here Shane that's your problem this is nothing to do with friendship no, I know, this but has sure, nothing they, to do with, they've beaten with every looking team after in front people of them. that I know it's nothing to do with slipping fivers into the back pocket this is the power <laughs> rankings I've taken over from Owen Sheehan it's a very very important two, slot two quick comments I cannot, Cavan, lads I would, cannot. Cavan lads wouldn't be slipping fivers two in quick comments. Comments. we haven't <laughs> got the final slide yet yeah, two quick co- so give me, give me these two quick comments Ram. that summarise all this stuff better than we have Shane not this one says Cavan will beat any of the teams ranked 9-16 to 16. we should be higher Cavan, and Jack Cosgrove says Westmead the head of Cavan is mind blowing Tom Rooney is afraid of Cavan. Cavan can whinge all they want, okay? Cavan won Ulster in 2020. Fair play to you as you've got the job done. You slid back to Division 4. They are improving and correcting what went wrong Massively in 2021. Improving. Massively improving, Shane. Say. They're in Division 3. Yeah, they're but they're going to be in Division 2. They are. Without question, they're, they're yeah. up. Sure, and I have them in 15th place. I have them in 15th, and they, they may go up again. But, like, what do you want me to do here? I put can't above, put them, put them in above Westmead. I want, uh, that's what I want. <laughs> I, I, above Westmead. Westmead won the Tadjian Cup that, last year. They bet them I in know, the but you need, to, you need to get with 2023, Tommy. And it kills me to make this argument, but I, I think you've got that wrong. Well, Bring, Adrian, bring us into slide one. For, forgive me for, for just cutting across you here. This is your first time on the Power Rankings. I have been on the Power Rankings four times so far this year. Where were you before this? <laughs> Show me your medals. Get dust off your medals. I hear you, Tommy. Yeah, bring right. us into slide that's, one here. Come on. Slide one. Tyrone haven't moved after that Hartnham win at the weekend. They can complain all they want. They can thank Paddy Andrews. The rumours were that the football pot is bleared around the speakers in Oman before the game. We need to see a bit more from Tyrone, but good signs at the weekend. Roscommon in seventh. Shadow boxing at the weekend, so I'm not moving that that game with Mayo. Armar sixth. Derry are fifth, even though they had that great win against Dublin. But it's very tight up here. Just a lot has to go for changes to be made. Dublin have slid back one to four plays. I can see the scowl on Kenny Cunningham's face. Kenny, I'm going to lay it out to you this way. Paddy Andrews put it best. Indiscipline. No plan B. That's the dubs for you. No evidence of evolution in the last five years. No real depth beyond their best 15. I'm not ruling out Dublin pulling this out because they probably have the strongest 
15 on paper alongside Kerry but beyond that they're struggling and that's why they've slipped back to fourth place they lost the game at the weekend and in previous years they would have pulled out of the bag and won third place Mayo two words choo choo <laughs> get on the hype train there we go there you go go away in second Kerry in first yeah or Mayo can Mayo win the Ireland this year Tommy genuinely obviously why is it obvious? Because they're one of the best teams in the country. Will they? Ask them, will they win they it? They always let Shane. you down though. Will they? Will they? Will they win it? That's a, diff- that's a good question, Kevin. Will they win it? Good give, give um, that's why again. you should have been pundit Thanks, of the Tommy. year. Pundit of the year in my books. Will they win it? Like it, it? It's a very good question. The way I put it to you is every team, um, I would say every team, and I'm sorry, Roscommon people, Barr Roscommon can probably win the All-Ireland this year. That's possibly harsh. In this first slide, very harsh. I don't think Tyrone are doing it. Just, I'm, I'm going to rephrase. It's a bit of a weak answer, think, Tommy. You've got to be honest with you. I don't think Armagh are going to do it. This is my answer, Kenny, right? right? Derry, Dublin, Mayo, Galway, Kerry. Oh, Four no. semi finalists last year. Mayo have been perennial finalists and semi finalists over the last couple of years. They can all win the All Ireland this year. Oh, jeez. But they we all have. They they all have we know they can. They Tommy. all that's have not fatal the flaws. Kenny, they all have fatal flaws and that's the thing. Mayo, to me, look like they're cleaning up those flaws, which is their attack. So I would give Mayo as good a chance as I've, I've ever given. Where's uh, Mayo with it, Tommy? I think, I think I, look, the Mayo stuff has absolutely, totally blown me uh, asunder because I didn't expect them to be at all where they're at. I had them uh, yeah. totally written off and I think Tommy's right. The one slight surprise, like Tyrone, if there was common Tyrone thing, if we can look at slide one again, I would have probably edged on the basis of both the results of the weekend and Tyrone like look you can sort of say it's a one-off result fair enough and I know you're taking the long game approach here which I don't mind saying was not your predecessor's approach he'd be as flighty as could be and like any opportunity to make a few tweaks he'd go for it but like backs against the wall the weekend and you know relatively impressive obviously with getting the job done desperately needed to get the job done and Relative. got it done. Yeah, but like maybe that's the Relative. biggest pointer to what might happen in the championship. Versus Roscommon, who granted okay. granted they, they came with a late uh, surge, could have could have drawn the game late on. But Adrian, uh, this can't all be this can't all be done on a whim. It's not all done it on feels, science uh, to and stats. It seems yeah. like it has been done on a whim. That's you've nailed it. You're, you're waiting for Tyrone. Tyrone have a short trip to Clonus next, and if they lose that, they're probably going to be relegated. And if they win it, they'll be safe. So you're probably holding off, Tommy. Are you? I'm I'm, I'm trying to back you up here. Like Shane, there's, there's an element to that. There's big games ahead. There's a lot yet to happen. I watched Tyrone on Saturday night. A lot of this is to do with what you see in front of you, the feeling you get from my county. Like, Roscommon made six changes the weekend, five changes the weekend. Mayo made six changes. I'm not reading much into that game. That is why that game is not being brought too much into um, contention here. They're meeting in Connacht in five weeks' time. Tyrone bet Kerry. Kerry want to finish mid-table in the league. We've heard them say it numerous times. I'm not too worried about Kerry's performances at the minute. Let Tyrone back it up. Let themselves get themselves safe. And then we'll see how to get on in Ulster. There's a lot to happen yet, lads. It's going to be a relentless calendar over the next three or four months. Um, so get ready for a couple of more power rankings. Where were our, 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 sorry, Armagh were in sixth. Yeah, yeah. That's about, that's about right, I'd say. Yeah, I probably had Armagh a little higher. I, I had them 4.30 on. I got a lot of stick for that. But I did think that Armagh were going to back up the league performance we saw last year, that the, the bit of rock and roll football. Um, I'm not saying they can't get to that position, but maybe they're biding their time to get there. I think uh, you need to get more trigger happy, Tommy. I'm not going to lie to you. Anthony Moyles has been in touch. He says, uh, keep them Westmead and Cavan lads down, Tommy. Don't mind, Adrian. Should be lower if you ask me. I, I, that's... Yeah, I think Moyles has got a point. Like, the, the biggest thing to come out of Westmead and Cavan, and I put loud in this bracket now, is complaints. What do you, what do you mean? 
<laughs> complaints. What are you talking like, about? All they do is complain. Ah, yeah, but what I'm saying is, like, I'm actually batting on behalf of Cavan here, which is a ludicrous position to be in. But they're in Division all 3. Suggests. Sorry, Sorry, Division but, Tommy, the biggest thing coming out of Cavan... You can only bait what's in front of you, Tommy, and they're Hold doing on that on. with Hold bells on. on. This is the power rankings, right? It is where each county are in terms of the All-Ireland series. It is where... Yeah, Cavan tomorrow would beat Westmeath, in my view. Cavan can't win the All-Ireland unless they get to the Ulster final. But whatever about winning the All-Ireland, because if you're talking about winning the All-Ireland, there's not, you, you need, forget about like ranking six down. But, I'm but just saying... They're not going to be in the competition unless they get to the Ulster final. And at the minute, that looks like a very tough ask. The biggest, I'm not saying Cavan can't get there. They're in 15th position. I think it's fair for a team that are top of Division 3. The biggest thing coming out of Cavan is Paddy Lynch, Tommy. 2-5 at the weekend. No, it's not complaints. Oh, he doesn't want to hear it, Shane. He doesn't want to hear it. It's too, I talked too much logic. Up. I talked Lynch up plenty last year. Give him loads of credit. I think he's a superb footballer. Um, Danny Mack says, how are Mead 14th? Nepotism at its best. Come on, Danny Mack. Richie, Gosh. I mean, Cavan are probably a mid-level uh, Division 2 team next year. So somewhere from 10 to 14 at best. Probably. Richie next year. I look forward to it in a power ranking next year when Mead, no one takes them over. The Westmead <laughs> thing is based solely off winning the Talton Cup last year. It's been wrong since the first power rankings. So, and Shane hold on a second. Says, now, hold on. Let's... Hold on a second, right? Westmead won a championship. Something has to be said about that. They won a championship. They got a team holiday. They performed in Crow Park. They have footballers all across the park. There's plenty of footballers in that team that have been in Leinster semi-finals and Leinster finals. Sure, they haven't won it, but they're silverware in that dressing room. They've won a couple of league titles as well. Well, maybe not a couple. They've won one or two back when, in the day. When, when, but when we've reached a position where you're arguing for Westmead and I've argued against them, it's <laughs> yeah. time, to, uh, I, time I, to wrap. I just think there's a bit of a debate at the minute about the second best team in Leinster, as if that's something to be proud of. Kildare, Mead need to get their acts together. They haven't got it together yet. It's between yeah. Wesley, Mead and Loud for me at the minute. We- Loud are coming from such a low base that I couldn't have Loud ahead of Westmead, who have won a championship. You should have Loud are the, best, Loud are the second best team in Leinster at the moment. Tommy, I look forward to the... Jane, I'd uh, love to hear you back that up. I look forward to the update next week. Mickey Hart. Talk to you later today. We'll be friends later on. You've played a blow there, Tommy. you played a blinder today. <laughs> Thanks, Kendall. Well done this morning. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, Thanks, and, you, and you, Tommy. Hope to see you soon. Good work. Thanks, Get back into the studio quick. Boys. Fair play. Come on. Um, <laughs> hugely enjoyed our last few hours. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, it's always an absolute pleasure. Yeah. These things sometimes go unsaid. You take the comments facetiously, which is not the way they're intended, but I have thoroughly enjoyed yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the last two, two and a bit hours. We're so all sick of each other's company, so it wakes us up Penny, a bit, you know? Oh, yeah. Thanks, million, for coming in. Pleasure. Cheers, thoroughly man. enjoyed that. Shane, come on. Great stuff. You over, I've enjoyed you just as much. That's, there you uh, go. Feel as almost, right almost. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk to you on Friday. Friday. It's uh, coming up on 22.10. On tomorrow's show, uh, Jasmine Baba, Sean O'Brien, Derek McNamara, plenty more as well. Shane is going to be hosting alongside Johnny Ward. OCB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.